Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Raspberry Swirl, the fourth track from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. Sometimes I feel like I become the male figure for my girlfriends. And so um, it's unfortunate that I can't be a man because I think I'd be in love with all of them. But it's not my inclination. And yet I love them very much. So, um, this song is about things are getting desperate when all the boys can't be men. Everybody knows I'm her friend. Everybody knows I'm that man. And, well, they love it when I sing it to them. So, you know, Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How are you feeling? Are you swirling yet? I'm swirling. I'm swirling in the darkness alone. I can hear you, but I can't see you. <laughs> Swirl, little girl. Swirl, little girl. Are you swirling? We are trapped in our own individual homes. Yeah. It's maddening. You sound crystal clear, though. Oh, well, I worked really hard on it. The good thing about <laughs> it, I guess, is we can swirl like nobody's watching because they're not. Right. Because but... <laughs> nobody is watching. Yeah. How are you doing? How's your quarantine? Tell me everything. Ladies and gentlemen of the future, we are recording this in the time of COVID-19. When you're researching how humanity ended, here we are. (laughs) This will be valuable material for your search. The show was always meant to be a time capsule, but it really is now. Current events. We are here, so we have an intricate system set up where David's recording from his quarantined home, and I'm recording from mine. Mm. We're patched in to each other through this internet that we've created, and we're recording on our own microphones and our own systems, and then we're going to sync it together, and it's just going to sound exactly the same as always. And then we're going to think, like, people are going to start to think, did they do this the whole time? Were they always fooling us? Yeah, but it's also kind of suitably 90s, because we're essentially talking on the phone. Remember when people used to talk on the phone? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> M-O-D, are you out there? Yeah. <laughs> David Nadine, are you out there? <laughs> well, I don't know. I appreciate that this is bringing a sense of normalcy back into my life. We're going to keep on keeping on. It's true. I, we have so much time on our hands that I feel like we're going to really bang out the choir girl season. We should. God. And Venus. We're going to bang that choir girl and blast off to Venus. Strange little girl, Scarlet's Walk. We may never get out. I'm here for it. This could turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to this podcast. Thank you, Corona. Yeah. How horrible. <laughs> I want to know how you're doing, though. I'm good. I'm not bad. Are you? 
I'm lucky, you know, I'm one of the lucky people that got to keep my job and I'm getting paid. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm working harder during this strange new normal. I feel like I'm working harder now because everybody wants to have a goddamn Zoom conference. And it's like, <laughs> all right. I do feel honestly like I am more busy now because of not only all the work stuff that I'm doing, but we're trying to create online systems for our kids that I work with teenagers. We're trying to create online systems there. But also we're producing daily on our uh, daily show never shut up seven days a week with new co-hosts every day pretty much so it's like we're producing 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 our lovely shay stymac who puts together our show notes she's just jamming them out we got pretty much the entire choir girl season ready to go ready to record Uh, which is exciting and intimidating we're all managing to somehow work harder and smarter yeah (laughs) i didn't know that was possible how have you been doing during this quarantine I kind of hate to say it, but it's not that different from my everyday life. I was I was built for this. Stay at home in sweatpants. Yes. Watch TV. Check in with people via text. Okay. Threaten me with a good yeah. time. All right. Not to make light of it. But I will say this. I am making a concerted effort to practice excellent self-care because it would be really easy for me to say this is an excuse to like eat whatever I want, lay around, watch TV, and I don't want to do that. I want to emerge from... Oh. I want to emerge from the quarantine chrysalis as a thing of beauty (laughs) or as close as I can possibly get to it. So do you remember Bette Midler and Ruthless People? A timeless reference. Yes. But, um, you know, she's held captive and she has nothing to do but work out. And she makes like her own equipment out of like paint cans and stuff like that. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) I now do three workouts a day. Jesus. I'm eating. Like, what else am I going to do? I have no excuse other than not wanting to do it, which to be fair is a compelling excuse. But I'm not falling for it. I'm not falling for my own excuse. So I'm eating well and doing my workouts. And it's like, let's just see what happens. I have this time. Why not? So that's where I am. Well, that sounds lovely. Much healthier than where I am. Would you like to talk about our Patreon supporters? Let's do it. We'd like to say hello to Ashley Thompson, who jumped in at our $10 level. Hi, Ashley. Just bring your Thompson. <laughs> We'd also like to say hello to B. Turner, who jumped in at our $11 level. I didn't know there was a level. Oh. B. Turner created their own level, and we respect that, B. You do you, B. <laughs> she said 5 plus 5 is 10, but B. Turner said 11. <laughs> no. <laughs> We'd like to say hello to Jen Skies Teachworth. Jen Skies. Jen Skies jumped in at our $25 level. Jen Skies, this episode is for you. Jen Skies, she is a patron. And as always, thanks to all of our supporters who stick with us every month. Thank you so much. We couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't do it without you. Should we talk about our guests? Yeah, who do we got? Today, because of the subject matter, we've decided to go down under. We have not one, but two people from Australia here today. That's thorough. We're going to explore every inch of the down under. We have Tom Christofferson, a visual artist from Sydney, Australia, and Jane Lynn Lamb, a graphic artist from Melbourne, Australia. We also have Glow Hawa, a yoga instructor from LA. But perhaps most exciting of all, who do we got? We have Josh Barrow from NPR's Left, Right, and Center. He's here to host a very special Left, Right, and Center between Jane and Glow. One who loves raspberry swirl and one who hates raspberry swirl. Mm. I've never heard of such a thing. Someone had the gall to admit that they hate raspberry swirl. I can't believe it. (laughs) I threw down my microphone. I respect it. I don't understand it, but I respect it. (laughs) 
Of course, we have all our segments that you come to know and love. We have 10 questions with Michael Carley. We have Sincerely Shaggy. We're just shoving it all into your raspberry. Patented and beloved line by line? The patented and beloved line by line? Just checking. The critically acclaimed live section. <laughs> Plus many surprises along the way. Uh, what more could you ask for? If anyone dares to ask for more, I don't know what to say. <laughs> then you're just asking too much. Yeah. Of course, we said it before, but we're going to say it again, and we're going to say it loud and proud. Thanks to Shay Stymack for putting together our show notes with a little help this time from James Farron. If you want insider, well, you better make her Shaysberry swirl. You better make her raspberry Shay whirl. Shay whirl? That's where I thought you were going. I always get close. You better make her raspberry Shay whirl. I always get close, and you do me one better, but that's okay. What a team. Well, <laughs> <laughs> should we get on with it, David? Let's go. I'm ready. Let's swirl it. Let's go. This is a cover of Raspberry Swirl by synthetic division we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoramus.com we found it on youtube and you can too everybody out there we're so excited to swirl with you we'll be right back song I wrote for if I you know one of my girlfriends is so fantastic and just guys were missing the point with her she's so fantastic and so um, I mean I'm in love with her but I'm kind of not into that kind of thing I am I am on every level but um I can't even say it on radio. I can't. And you know I want to okay. go there, but I just can't. I just, I don't eat hair pie. Okay? It wasn't a bad word, you guys. I should pass the censors. And so um, she knows, but she knows it's my love song to her. And etherically, I'm down on her. 
Raspberry. Swirl. Swirl. <laughs> Let's go. They made that song dark. Do you think they made it darker? Is there anything darker than lesbian baiting to begin with? I don't know. They made a dark art of cunnilingus. <laughs> Isn't cunnilingus technically one of the dark arts? Um... <laughs> I want everybody that's listening right now to get comfortable with the word cunnilingus because we're going to use it several times. And I want you to count how many times we use it. I that love was the it. third time we used it. I yes. love it. Cunnilingus. When you have your count at the end of the show, email us at songsoftoriamiss at gmail.com. Be the first one to email us with how many times he said that word cunnilingus oh my gosh in this episode and you'll win your very own i want a cunnilingus contest t-shirt i love it cunnilingus is second only to necromancy in terms of the dark arts and they both open a portal you don't want to mess with at least i don't when was the first time you heard raspberry swirl you know what i remember the choir girl era being the dawn of the mp3 do you remember that an mp3 um we just bypassed mp2 and went right to three i remember i don't even remember mp1 one. <laughs> I remember um, several of the tracks from the album leaking beforehand. Tori fans have always been so resourceful, right? Like, if there's something out there, we're going to get our hands on it, by hook or by crook. I wonder if that's how she would describe us, resourceful. Resourceful? <laughs> Maybe greedy. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. So, a few of the songs leaked ahead of time. I remember getting Jackie's Strength. It must have been everything from that four-track promo, right? Which would make sense, and that included right, Swirl. Right, right, right. And for some reason, She's Your Cocaine got out there early, so I remember having that. So I had Raspberry Swirl early. So um, this was probably the first time for sure where I was getting individual tracks aside from the single one at a time before being able to listen to it straight through. So that was a little bit of a different experience. But, you know, we keep saying that these songs, maybe not Spark necessarily, but starting with Cruel were a departure for her. But I feel like Raspberry Swirl was really a departure for her because aside from the remixes, which she really had nothing to do with, this was, you know, the first proper, would we say, dance track or I don't know how, how you would describe it but it was very different for her um how about you when did you hear it for the first time well I think you can absolutely describe it as a dance track so I was not part of the hot Los Angeles Tory crew I was the head of the New Mexico division I was looking for you you never showed up you know I never went to the national conferences <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have any of the leaks in advance I didn't have the promo sampler I didn't have anything so I heard Raspberry Swirl the day that I heard the album and let me tell you it was as if I had been reborn I was a big fan of Blue Skies I was a big fan of Professional Widow. I was always a fan of when she went dancing, when she was trying to get a beat on, you know, I was a fan of that. You know, we have a term when you, like in the theater, when you listen to your own press, I guess it's not just the theater, but we have a term when you listen to your own press, you begin to believe what the critics say about you, right? This to me was the finest example of Tori listening to her own press. She heard those remixes. She's like, I don't need to commission anyone to do it. I could just do it myself. Right. This is where I think that it really started to crystallize where she was absorbing the outtake as part of the intake. How she talked on Cruel about going to the end to go back to the beginning to incorporate the samples of Cruel into Cruel. Yep. That's how I felt about esoterically Raspberry Swirl incorporating the idea of the dance goddess into her own work. Yeah. And doing it as an instrumentalist, yeah. I think post-Professional Widow remixes, she had club FOMO. She was like, let me at those knobs. Do they do stuff? Yeah. What can I do? <laughs> those knobs, they do stuff. This is tricky. This is where it's getting tricky because typically we'd be looking at each other and we'd be doing it. And I'm just assuming that you're miming, inhaling a cigarette, but I can't see you. So. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. Too. I Me did. Too. I mimed the fuck out of it. <laughs> 
you get by. You do what you got to do to get by in the quarantine. Yeah. Well. yeah. It's okay, people. We're going to make it through this. Yes. From the Quiet Girl Hotel, released on May 4th, 1998 in the UK, May 5th, 1998 in the US, this track, Raspberry Swirl, with drums and sillies by Matt Chamberlain, Yeti and programmer Andy Mental Wicked Gray. Bass was Justin Meldel Johnson. Everyone's got a middle name. Mm. Bass Justin Meldel Johnson. Acoustic and electric guitars Steve and Caton. Kurtzweil, Busendorfer, and vocal Tori Amos. Mm. She always has to outdo everyone. Everyone else plays two yeah. things. Nope, I got three, including vocal, but yeah. Drums and Sillies by Matt Chamberlain. Sillies? My goodness. Sillies. Creature. Matty. You're going to play one of those silly barrels on this song? That's a silly. <laughs> Put on your antennas. Oh, you. Oh, silly. Every so often, we get a track that hits the top of the charts or hits the charts at all. Or cracks the top 50. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Raspberry Swirl was the third single from From the Choir Girl Hotel, which was a double A side with Cruel, which I think, is this the last time she did a double A side? Did she ever do a double A side before this? Yeah, Mina Gun Silent all these years. Her very first. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So this was a double A-side with Cruel, third single from the Choir Girl Hotel. I guess they were both the third single, right? It peaked at 20 on the Billboard charts for top Canadian singles, peaked at number 38 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. because this song was hot. Coming in hot. And then also number 57 on the Australian singles charts. Mm. I love people from Australia. <laughs> and they love swirling. I find 38 on the Billboard Hot 100 to be shockingly high. What do you think about that? I wouldn't say shockingly high. Deservedly high. I want it high, though. I want it in the top 10. I think there's nothing. I think this song should have displaced everything that was on the top 10 when it came out. You're never going to be satisfied until she unseats what was ever number one in 1998. And I'm sorry to break it to exactly. you. I think the moment has passed. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe it was shockingly high but because it was a departure for her so it was a different sound i thought it was really it lives and breathes in its time frame yeah did you ever hear raspberry swirl on the radio yes god new mexico was cutting edge new mexico we always have been always will be i never heard this song on the radio a single time and i saw the video exactly once on 120 minutes when it premiered and that's why i'm so surprised that this song climbed climbed to number 38 now do you know are billboard rankings based on a combination of sales and radio play or is it just sales because if it's strictly sales then i could see how we as Tory fans could push something like a swirl up to number 38 just by our need to buy everything (laughs) that she puts Mm -hmm. out. So that wouldn't surprise Mm -hmm. me. But if it's also factoring airplay, then that's a different story. And I'm not, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, honestly. I just don't know. If you work for Billboard, please let us know if you have inside knowledge. I feel like I should know that because I used to work for the video offshoot of SoundScan, but I wasn't on the music side, people. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to how the Billboard chart is going. So you could have fudged the numbers, is what you're saying? You could have fudged and put this to number one. It occurred to me once or twice because I would go in there when I was bored and pull all of Tori's sales like for every single thing she'd ever released that was in the system and see what the numbers were. I was like, maybe I could just bump this up a little bit. Let me see if I can just inflate it some. But (laughs) There's got to be protections against being able to do that or do you think you could have done that? Resourceful. Let's use that word again. I'm pretty sure that I could have figured out how to do it, but I never would have done such a thing. I took my market research oath very seriously. You've let us down. I will always do right by the skew. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
UPC before UP me. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me about your initial thoughts. I know you heard this in a leak before, but did you love it? Did you hate it? I think I was somewhere in the middle. It wasn't as compelling to me as something like an IIE or a Cruel. And because of all the press and the interviews that were circulating ahead of time, I was prepared for something like this because she teased something along the lines of a dance Mm. track or, you know, kind of being inspired Mm. by Professional Widow. So it wasn't necessarily surprising to me. How about you? It wasn't surprising, but like I said, I was living for it. I felt myself listening to the song. I loved this song. This was probably my first favorite song on the album. Don't get me wrong. It's deeply, deeply important to me how you felt about it. But I also need to know how your friend Liz reacted to it. Liz? As A, a lesbian and B, someone who was very pleased with Tori Amos after hearing Cruel. How did she respond to Raspberry Swirl? She, like me, was into the her Tori challenging herself, really surprised us. There was something great about being surprised. And at the time, getting music that didn't sound like anything else made her so cool. I felt like we were very in the know somehow as fans. Yeah. And aside from something like a B-side, like a Humpty Dumpty or something, or the silly songs, arguably from Pele, even though we determined that they're not really all that silly, I feel like this is the first time in an album that Tori was having fun musically. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. At least at this level, you're right. Some of the silly songs, Agent Orange, for example, but... Other than that, on an album, yeah, this is the first time I think that she was like just playing around and letting loose. It wasn't so heavy. It wasn't so serious. Right. And arguably a Tallulah, a happy phantom maybe, but this is totally different. Not only is it like a straight up dance track, but the subject matter is lighter, let's say, Mm -hmm. or she's having fun with it. So this was kind of a... The dawn of a new day for Tori, for sure. I will tell you this little story before we begin our quotes section. I remember the year was 2000, and I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was my first time living in a city, and I went to a gay bar for the first... It wasn't the first gay bar I'd ever been to, but it was, I think, the very first time I went into a gay bar in Las Vegas, Nevada. And do you remember what it was called? I can't remember. But what I do remember is being in that bar, being alone in that bar, and they had like this video montage going along with the music, and they played Raspberry Swirl, and I felt like, okay, I can do this. I can be gay in this new city, in this new world. Tori's got me. Oh, man. Tori came shooting across the universe to sort of prop you up and say, you can do this, young queerling. You can be yeah, gay. Yeah. Let it swirl. You need not perform cunnilingus to be gay. <laughs> So did you get up and dance? No! Okay. You picked up a dude. No, I didn't do anything. I was alone and then I went home. Okay. Nevertheless, it was a profound moment of realization yeah. for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the song appears, of course, on From the Quagro Hotel and all of the various promos from that album. It also appears as a 12-inch vinyl single with a sticky extended vocal mix. Sticky. That was sticky. And mm. here's the sticky extended instrumental mix from also from the 12 inch vinyl single. Mm. 
stickier, wouldn't you say? It's stickier than I can handle. Yeah, sticky. And we're all out of Lysol wipes. I don't know how I feel about that word sticky, but I like it here. At least you didn't go with moist, right? The moist extended instrumental sticky mix. (laughs) Um, It also appears on the CD single from UK, Europe, Australia, and it has the lip gloss version. Let's play that here. And then my favorite version of all time, Scarlet Spectrum Feels. it she felt that spectrum was this foreshadowing scarlet herself i think that scarlet mixed this song god there are so many characters in the tori amos universe and oddly enough they're mm-hmm. all her here's where <laughs> scarlet was born correct me if i'm wrong wasn't the scarlet spectrum feels the outro music on the plug tour when the lights went up we'd all yes. shuffle out to scarlet spectrum feels dazed ah, unsure of what just happened scarlet spectrum felt it <laughs> Raspberry Swirl also, of course, appears as a double A-side single with Cruel, the third release from From the Choir Girl Hotel. Can we talk about that packaging? Yeah, let's talk about it. It's a little bit different, right? Yeah, that cardboard sleeve pissed me off. Why? I mean, she looks really amazing in that photograph. She looks like she's ready to just throb on the dance floor. But A, it was hard to get that little plastic tray out of that cardboard sleeve without damaging the cardboard sleeve and then b i just wasn't sure which side was a which side was b i don't like a double a side either do i it's all very confusing and you're right this packaging is fragile i miss a digipack yeah the little tiny slim jeweled case for the other raspberry swirl you know with the import yeah yeah that's what i preferred yes they just got it wrong all around as far as you're concerned Raspberry Swirl also appears, of course, on the Tori Amos complete videos because there was a video shot for this in August 1998. Then it, of course, appears on Fade to Red, the DVD, with commentary, which we'll get into. And then in 2007, Raspberry Swirl makes an appearance on Five Legs and Boots, Chicago, West Palm Beach, Dallas, Vancouver, and San Diego. Did Swirl always belong to Santa or did it get passed around? No, that song always belonged to Santa. Okay. Raspberry Swirl is her signature song. I remember the first day it came out getting a frantic and delighted text message from Shaggy Jason because he loved Santa and he loved to swirl. You know, one of my favorite tour memories of all time will always be Shaggy and or for that matter pulling down their swirl goggles. Are you aware of this? (laughs) No. They had wardrobe for Swirl. They both had road trip goggles that they bought. I don't know why. They were technically sunglasses, but they were like pilot goggles on a strap. And uh, (laughs) when they would start Swirl, they would go into like raver mode and (laughs) Dora and Shaggy would both have their goggles on. (laughs) Yeah. It was a real moment every time. God, 1998 was wild. We were wild. I know. Do you know something about Raspberry Swirl that is unlike any other previous single from Tori Amos? I'm not coming up with it. Now I have to know. 
Aside from being the only single so far to discuss cunnilingus. So far. <laughs> so far. It was her first single to be nominated for a Grammy for Best really? Female Rock Vocal Performance. Yeah. Tori had never been nominated for a Grammy period before Raspberry Swirl. She, of course she'd been nominated for a Grammy before. Okay. This was her first single to be nominated. The single. Okay, of course. Yes, she'd been. Okay, thank you. Yes. She'd been nominated for like Best Alternative Album, at least for Under the Pink. And Yeah, she was nominated for Best Alternative Performance in 94 for Pink and 96. Same category for Pele. It's all coming back to me now. I can remember her on Leno performing Butterfly when he mentions that and says, well, I hope you win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. I'm sure you will. (laughs) It also was supposed to be released in the UK as a single, and it was sadly canceled. What happened? This is the moment in time where I feel like the UK started to turn on Tori, or maybe she was turning (laughs) on the UK. Because before that, that was sort of the heart of her, not necessarily fan base, but kind of, but they really respected her and they were really trying to grow her and there were all these releases and this is where the tide started to shift and the US actually got more singles and she got more press and Mm -hmm. attention than she did in the UK. Very strange, what happened? You know, I don't know. Yeah, they nurtured her, they grew her. They were the nucleus of her fan base, I guess you can say, because she moved there. You know, there's one sort of national radio there and so you could reach a countrywide audience with relatively little push as opposed to here there's so many markets and such a big place the united states so that's why they started her there i don't know why they turned on her maybe because cunnilingus is a uniquely american act is it no (laughs) no but i'm sure it's much more proper and uh sophisticated in england than it is here Uh. where it's just like anything goes the sloppier the better (laughs) it's so true no one's drinking tea during it if i could witness a sophisticated cunnilingus i might actually enjoy it anybody out there want to offer us that opportunity (laughs) change our minds of what it can be let's get to the quotes okay why don't you read this quote from attitude may 1998 will you have another dance remix from this record You can't just repeat something like that again. Oh, sorry. What it did for me, though, was it inspired me to open up my thinking to rhythm, to use rhythm in a different way. So if there are remixes, I'm going to do them in-house with my team because it's not about trying to achieve that again. I don't believe in sequels. Um, except for Upside Down 2. This was 20 years before, so... <laughs> a lot's changed. That's not the only thing. <laughs> so let's talk about that. She's doing the remixes in-house. All remixes by Andy Gray. I mean, Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Everything gets really sticky in the remix booth. You think Scarlet was right there setting up shop next to Shady Feline? I think Scarlet was Shady Feline. But I like that, you know, it really reveals her attitude. And this is very consistent in her messaging and in her trajectory also, is that you can't repeat something. You just don't repeat something. You can't repeat something like that. You caught lightning in a bottle and you're going to move forward. And it's not about trying to achieve that thing again. That's how she, she was talking like that even as early as Under the Pink, which is like, it's not, I've done that confessional diary entry. This is more like an impressionistic painting. Now it's like, it's not about trying to achieve that again, but moving forward and like pushing the boundaries and seeing what happens next and clearly responding to the fact that professional widow did happen and was so huge you know yeah and it goes back to her wanting to sort of push herself and experiment and i love that she was clearly inspired by that remix but she made it her own so i could see her kind of looking that going i love this it's fun but what's my version of that and i'm still going to bring in the piano and make it Mm -hmm. uniquely me which she did Mm -hmm. so yes from high life may 1998 
Influenced by the Armand Van Helden remix of Professional Widow, a track from her last album, which became a huge club hit last year, Amos has put rhythm at the heart of many of the songs. I wouldn't make that kind of record, she says referring to the remix, but the energy of it and the rhythm was quite inspirational for tracks like Raspberry Swirl. I was like, if I'm going to write a song, I don't want to just put rhythm on top of it. I want to write a rhythm into it so it's part of the architecture. Mm. I love that. Because it's very clear. This is a dance song written by a very talented talented musician. It reminds me a little bit of like William Orbit. At the time was Ray of Light was coming out and he he did that album and it just was a very dance time. He seems to me to be a musician as well like at that level. I love this era for a lot of reasons of course but for a period of time there Tori was like way out in left field but she was also really tapping into what was going on and what was popular and 1998 has to have been like the year of let's say electronica right you mentioned ray of light for sure that's a big example and i seem to find myself unable to stop bringing up is this desire but just another example of artists who were part of Tori's, i don't know her group of colleagues who were playing with electronica in this way the milieu of the time. Yeah. So she was right there on the front lines with them, sort of being innovative and experimenting, but still making it her own for sure. And obviously this track is built around rhythm. Knowing what we now know about the recording process and that it was primarily just her and Matt and the programmer too, but how do you imagine this song was recorded? Because the, the keyboard is there, but it's pretty sparse, as is the piano. So do you imagine it was just Matt drumming madly with Tori singing, like over drums for the most part that would be quite something to see that would be quite something to see i have a hard time imagining it that way i always imagine i have a hard time imagining her when she stepped out from behind the piano as pip in 2007 i was shocked to see her not sitting behind a piano playing so i have a hard time imagining her recording anything without her hands on the keyboard or sitting at the Mm -hmm. keyboard even though i knew you know she did mean a gun standing at a microphone in october 1999 at that london show so i knew she could stand and sing (laughs) i knew it was possible but i I have a hard time i'm imagining her playing the keyboard or or at least noodling while singing i don't know how do you imagine i don't know i wonder if to some extent this was similar to blue skies in that maybe they laid down the instrumental first where matt was jamming and she was kind of playing along and then she sang over that after the fact i can see something like that happening because it's such a wildly different sort of tori amos song you know anything mm-hmm. could have happened in that studio mm-hmm. where's the footage give us the footage we know they had those you know that close that ctv setup so they can yeah, communicate the with each other yes yeah thank you yeah release the footage <laughs> release the tapes but her emails exactly but her right. footage <laughs> But the raw footage. We can't ignore. It was a huge departure for her. Even though the remixes had happened of Professional Widow and Blue Skies had happened, all that had happened, she still had been writing in a very uniquely Tory way. And it sounded like Tory. Piano-centric. It was piano-based. So this was undeniably a huge departure for her. We can't ignore the fact that it turned some people off. You know, this was a moment, like you said, you talked about the UK turning on her. Some fans at this moment decided, I'm not with this new sound. Fools, fools all, but there were some. Well, every artist worth their salt goes through that sort of moment, right? Like Bob Dylan going electric. That was a big deal, right? People turned on him. Yeah. They wanted something specific. And obviously the same is true for Tori, and I'm guilty of that myself. Well, I always think of Tori first and foremost as the girl in her piano. Yes, of course. I wasn't turned off by this, but it's certainly a departure. And if you've gotten attached to something... 
um, and feel, for better or worse, a sense of ownership over it, you're kind of like, hmm, I don't know about this. So we're, we're not good with change necessarily. You know, I think I'm starting to realize what kind of person I am when it comes to Tori's music because, as you said that, well, I always think of her as a girl with a piano, of course. That's not how I ever thought of her. I was always first and foremost drawn to her voice, not only her voice, like the timbre of her voice, but the vocalization and the way she sang, the way she seemed to be completely uninhibited in her singing. And that I loved, that freedom, that wild approach to singing, I loved. Mm. And so the more she challenged herself, I'm realizing that might be why I was so into it because the more she challenged herself musically like it brought out a whole different pattern in the singing and a whole different approach to the singing and i was loving it i was living for it of course i thought of her as the girl on the piano obviously because that's what she played but i was always ready for her to just take leaps dive dive girl jump off that cliff i'm coming with you (laughs) it's interesting to hear you say that because i don't think anyone including us really spends that much time talking about tori's voice or acknowledging her voice and if anyone spends more time talking about tori's voice than we do please call us let us know what what we're missing (laughs) well if i were to make a pie graph i'm pretty sure the voice wedge would be smallish compared to a lot of other things noun versus verb for example Obviously, Tori's voice is extremely expressive and emotional, and we respond to it. But we spend a lot more time talking about her as a composer, as a player, probably. Is her voice technically the best? Not necessarily, but does it have an incredible amount of flavor to it and a richness to it that makes it far more interesting and we respond to it than we would if it were like technically perfect, so to speak? That voice is raining flavor. Yeah, it sure is. She's a classically trained pianist. Is she a classically trained vocalist? Doesn't seem like it. She's got a very bizarre singing style that she Mm -hmm. seemed to have modeled after Led Zeppelin primarily, right? Yeah, I would say so. Let's play that quote where she actually talks about her singing style. And the singing. When did you start singing? Um, I didn't have much success at first with that because Kevin Gregg said I sang like a frog. He wrote this on a piece of paper in fourth grade to uh, Peggy Shaw. Um, and said, I love you forever, Peggy. God, Ellen Amos, is, that's what I was called, sings like a frog. And I was pretty devastated, and I wasn't going to sing again. And my brother said, you listen to Robert Plant, and you sing to his records every day, and one day they'll stop laughing at you. And that's what I did. Yeah, her voice is flavorful. Yes. Um, is she a Maria Callas? Is she a Sarah Brightman? No, but that, we don't want that. Is she a Celine Dale? Not even a Sarah McLaughlin necessarily. But is Sarah McLaughlin a Tory? No. No. And of all the songs, on that note, here she is nominated for Best Rock Vocal Performance, right? Yes, rock vocal. That vocal's mm. rock. Vindication. <laughs> From frog to Grammy nominee. She better start working on her Figot. You can too. Yeah, if she can Figot, we can Figot. <laughs> Um, read this from Rock Etc. May 18th, 1998. So we're in the thick of it. Okay. My women friends and I take on different roles. And as my woman friend once had problems with her boyfriend, I slipped into his role and told the men who wanted to come near to her, if you want to come here, you will have to make sure you're good enough for her. But I wasn't impressed by any of them. Yeah, that is exactly what she's written. (laughs) Yeah, that is the seed of the song for sure. And that seed sprouted into a gorgeous 
vaginal bird of paradise, apparently. Um, <laughs> Who do you think she's talking about? Obviously, she's talking about Beanie. Um, I always primarily think of Beanie, but it, it must have been, you know, part of that little gaggle of gals, the same yeah. ones who were talking about, I know where you'd go if you could. You'd go to Venus. Venus. I feel like they're like her lady. Whoever those women were, Karen Benz, throwing a couple others. Yeah. They were her little, like, lady think tank. Her lady posse. Yes. She stole all her best ideas from them. From Alternative Press, July 1998, Tori says, The animus in me is raspberry swirl. I'm in love with my woman friends, but I just don't eat pussy, says Amos, laughing. But I'm in love with them. If I had a different sensibility, then, you know, I think I could, you know, really fulfill someone down there where a lot of men in their lives don't. And eating pussy is a metaphor, too. It's about crawling in there, being with their juices, really being with them. (laughs) I have to take a moment. I feel like eating pussy is such a 1998 thing to say. (laughs) It sounds so dated, the term eating pussy. The year of eating pussy dangerously, 1998. I'm going to do you one harder. You want to know what sounds even more dated than the phrase eating pussy? I always want it harder. Eating hair pie. Yeah, I probably said that at the time, just because it seemed so crude and ridiculous. I only ever said that because Tori said that. And I, you know, I love that she said it. So I would say hair pie and as well as snatch. I mean, like snatch is so 1998. 95. Yeah, we've also mentioned Cooter before. <laughs> Cooter, yeah. I like Cooter. Well, it sounds cute, right? Yeah. It's non-threatening. <laughs> right, which we gays love. Yeah, we need a 90s vaginal thesaurus. What are all the words <laughs> that were popular in the late 90s for yeah. vagina? Coochie, don't forget Coochie. Of course. She's a Coochie woman. A Coochie woman. <laughs> I feel like Tori is kind of committing the worst hetero crime against humanity by equating being gay with being all about sex. (laughs) To her, that seems to be the only thing that's involved. That's all lesbians do. They just sit around eating each other out all day long. Right. Let's read this from SonicNet or MTV.com's online chat. And this happened on August 17th, 1999. Were you part of this online chat, David? I probably was. I remember this online chat happening. This was the night before the opening of the Five and a Half Weeks tour. Oh, I was Uh, definitely part of it then. And wasn't there a performance too? Yeah, there was. It was like live and unrehearsed the night before. Yep. Okay, for sure. So let's read this. What are your views on electronic music? You've clearly been incorporating a lot of it into your music, sort of electronica for lack of a better word not a great word not a great word better than techno though no but we've kind of uh, electronica is a bit 96 what are we calling it these days it's all too studied too many subdivisions trance electro things are i think it's metamorphosizing and i think the great thing is there are so many more gadgets that they're becoming instruments now sound effects you approach it like an instrument as a keyboard player i've had to stretch and try and find a bridge between the acoustic piano that i play i usually call it a boozy and then all of these sounds that are coming out of keyboards whether they're sampled sounds for us we're really trying to get to us making our own samples because puff daddy has stolen everything else so we steal from ourselves damn it puffy he's always one step ahead of tori is it also changing the structure though it seems like songwriting is changing because of the influence of this sort of reform of instrumental music it's an architecture right i mean i do think that songwriting is always very much always about playing with form it's endless but how i can fuck up four minutes blows my mind all the time and then when you get it right you get it right it always surprises me sometimes how i think a song is going to go a certain way and then it doesn't reach the potential when others who are sitting over to the side her bridge i take that 
or something and she comes to life in another song. And there is a genetic kind of weaving that goes on, different than children, obviously, because you can't go, oh, let's take her kidney and she's got a really cute ass and let's put them together. But you can do that with songs. I always love when she talks technically about how she writes, you know? Yes, yes. Like pull a bridge from another song, that bar, maybe, you know, things like that really delight me. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but I think at some point she's talked about specifically that Jackie Strength and Hotel were the same song and that she sort of split them apart. I know, it's crazy. Do you feel like you have a hotel kidney with a Jackie breast ever (laughs) grafted onto it? That's so interesting that you bring those two up, Hotel and Jackie Strength. Because Hotel, people, if you haven't figured this out by now, it's my favorite Tori Amos song. But Jackie's Strength was my least favorite on the album when the album came out. So (laughs) I want to know how they were linked. Yeah, they couldn't be more different from each other sonically, really. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily subject matter wise. I can see some overlap there. But just musically, sonically, they couldn't be more different. What do you think about this idea? So we're getting into a little bit of how they recorded, taking their own samples, making their own samples in-house. I love that she was wanting to push herself to do that. And this goes back to what a collaborative period this was. And that if she wanted to experiment with something that wasn't necessarily in her wheelhouse, she would bring in experts who had that skill set. Because obviously Tori isn't like creating her own beats, pressing her vinyl and sampling them. She's, you know, the producer, the creative director, but she put together the team that she needed to execute that. And I miss those days. I do too. I loved those days. Let's go into this quote from the Louisville Observer, October 1998. Amos considers Raspberry Swirl to be more of a look at the rules of the sexes. She says, I wrote it for one of my girlfriends who just had a streak of men who really didn't get her. Sometimes I play the role of the man in my relationships with my female friends. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking on an emotional level. And so this is about being understanding that if I were six foot four and had one less hold and a couple more round hairy things, there's no way that these men would be able to compete because I really think that they miss the beauty in the women that I find really attractive. They really miss it. Wow. What resonated with me is the line where she says, because I really think that they miss the beauty in the women that I find really attractive. And I instantly thought of that line from uh, that Ani DeFranco song. I think it's Adam and Eve where she says, everything I love is ugly. I mean, really, you would be amazed, right? Mm. And that there's a reality that Tori's attracted to. She's not attracted to a surface beauty, but she's attracted to a complete and total beauty. And I love, I love that. I love that quote. Yeah. I also love, and this is kind of an about face from the prior quote where she was talking all about the juices and like the P word Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But she's talking about it on an emotional level, not a physical level. And I certainly understand that, that, you know, there are probably different types of intimacy and relationships. And sometimes in a male-female couple, maybe it can't meet all of your needs and maybe your emotional needs aren't being met, but your physical needs are. So that's where she wants to step up to the plate, right? (laughs) Yeah. And she's kind of wishing she could be all things. Maybe as a friend, she's satisfying the emotional needs. But if she could, this is like the fantasy of Raspberry Swirl. If she could step up and fulfill the physical side too. I mean, I've been there, you know, not just with women, because I do have some incredible women friends that I can't fulfill their needs and they can't fulfill mine, but we have this like incredibly deep emotional connection 
but also with like my sisters as well. You know, like you build these strong connections and you want only the best for them and you want everybody to see their beauty and you get really angry when guys take advantage of them or when guys don't see that beauty that if I had the talent, I too would write a anthem dedicated to their pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you use the word sister to me. Like obviously it's funny and you say that sort of cheekily, but it's also apropos and it's interesting when we're talking about same-sex friendships. There are still obviously people you have an emotional connection with but you don't feel romantically towards them or sexually towards them and the idea of it kind of seems incestuous right <laughs> mm-hmm. i tell so. peter and shaggy i love you but i just don't eat hair pie they <laughs> <laughs> can't do it sorry about it let's read this quote from the dallas morning news october 4th 1998 There probably won't be as much demand for the rote dance remixes of her songs, which she usually has little to do with and it sounds like it. Fair enough. She says of that assessment. But there's an ambient version of Raspberry Swirl by programmer Andy Gray that Ms. Amos has been blissing out on, bleasing out on lately. I just sit there listening to it sometimes and I'm not even tripping. I'm just lying there with my macaroni and cheese and I'm happy as punch. Besides having a strong and sudden craving for mac and cheese, I have a strong and sudden craving for Scarlet. Let Spectrum feels. I thought you were going to say for punch. Oh, punch also. (laughs) Nothing sounds better than some Hawaiian punch right now. Why don't you read this from New Jersey Home News and Tribune from November 24th, 1998. And November 24th is the day that the single was released. It was on Thanksgiving. Isn't that a shock? Oh my, that is shocking. If you're doing shock for shock's sake, that's kind of boring because that's easy to do. A cheap trick. But if you shock people because people are very closed, that's a different story. It's a very politically correct time. Politically correct to the point of dishonesty. It's not about respect for other people anymore. It's about shame for what you feel. As a writer, I surround myself with a really good sounding board. I have really smart woman friends who will challenge me about certain topics. And I have to be willing to withstand the assault because at the end of the day, you have to be responsible as a writer. I'm responsible for the pig shot. I knew exactly what I was doing. The beauty of that shot is that what is more threatening than anything is that there is a beauty to it. There is a beauty to bringing shame to yourself. It's incredibly powerful when you can look at things you have been embarrassed about and about certain thoughts you had. You can look in the mirror and say, yeah, I thought of that, as ashamed as I may be. I love that. She doesn't mean to erase Cindy Palmano, I'm sure, but I love that she's taking ownership of it. She's basically saying it was me on Sunset Boulevard, gluing the billboard, putting it up on Sunset. Right, up there with her paintbrush, 2 a.m. That was me. I did that. Me. Yeah. And of course, regardless of whose idea it was or whatever, I think she's saying, you know, obviously she willingly participated in it and that it was intentional, that there was something behind it. And this is a mission statement in terms of Tori's work, period. I think she's always been about bringing the hidden into the light and the darkness into the light and sort of exposing things that you were ashamed of or taught to be ashamed of. So this is pretty on brand. I also love that and owning that. Yeah, I thought of that as ashamed as I'm maybe owning all sides of yourself, taking the dark into the light, even owning your own shadow. So it's, yeah, all of that. I would just like to pull this out for my own reference later. There's a beauty in bringing shame to yourself. That's good to know. (laughs) I felt a lot of shame, but I haven't necessarily been looking for the beauty in it. So I want to make sure to do that going forward. I mean, there's a beauty to being vulnerable, to let yourself be vulnerable and to let yourself be weak, which you may in your right mind, quote unquote, might think of as shameful. There's a beauty to that. I support her, Torimus, in that quote. Yeah, and I mean, using the pig shot as an example of that, when you are that exposed and that, I don't want to say brazen, but kind of, like you almost can't say anything 
to it or about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're putting it all out there. So it's like, what do you got? Nothing because I'm laying it all out there. And like, mm-hmm. it might not seem like the same thing, but to me, that's similar to like before someone comes out, like once you come out and you sort of do it yourself, no one can say anything. You like take all the wind out yeah. of your sails. Like this thing that was supposedly shameful. You're like, um, yep, that is correct. And then everyone's like, oh, okay. And they just kind of shuffle off and move on. Exactly. <laughs> if you own yeah. something, no one can hurt you with it. No one can right. use it against you. Yes. Yes. That's why yeah. I came out at the tender age of 14. And I thought I was so badass. But a friend of mine, her 11-year-old just came out to her. So it's getting younger and younger. It was a different time. You were badass. You are badass. But no. that's <laughs> that's remarkable. This 11-year-old yeah. stripped me of my badassness. <laughs> He's just coming out to show me up. <laughs> Did it work? Yes. <laughs> I can't wait till we have gay toddlers. So self-aware. This is from Keyboard Magazine, May 1999. How technical are you with synthesizers? Do you get involved with using music software? Or is that more of an area for your engineers, Mark and Marcel? No, they do all that crap. You kidding? No, I don't get into any of that. I just say, hey, find me some bitchin' sounds. And I know what to do with them once they find them. Most keyboard people's problem is they know how to get the sounds, but they don't know what to do with them. Let me tell you something. Most of these keyboard players, not all of them, some of them are innovative, but a lot of times it's like, oh, duh, obvious. It's about using sounds in ways that maybe you wouldn't. Like in Raspberry Swirl, that sound isn't supposed to be used that way. The... Sound where you're just supposed to hold it. I cut that off and it became something else. And that's why I think synths fall on their head because it just becomes about people that aren't melodically zoned. They sit down and play the same crap over and over again on every dance record. You know, you hear the same. That's where keyboard players think they're keyboard players. And I'm like, no, you can get away with it on keyboards, but you can't really get away with that kind of stuff as a guitar player. I think it's so obvious when a guitar player can only play a few chords and a couple of riffs, whereas the keyboard player can have all this gear and all these sounds are coming out and it can be very distracting. And yet you realize all they can do is, man, man, (laughs) who's she talking about? Good question. What do you think of the use of the word bitchin'? Find me some bitchin' sounds. God, she loves the word bitchin'. She immortalized it forever in the, under the pink liner notes. These things yeah. are bitchin'. Find me some bitchin' sounds on that bitchin' Mac. <laughs> Thank your mom for the bitchin' wheels, bitch. <laughs> From Goldmine Magazine, May 7th, 1999. Raspberry Swirl is definitely one of those songs that's gotten a big facelift. On the record, it's a very organic dance cut with a steady kick and some staccato rhythms. When it's played live, you use a drum machine and Matt's going off on a whole horde of other percussion. He had a bit of that. Not what he's playing now, but he had a bit of that on the record. He was playing metal bits on the original thing, and now he's made it this huge metal thing. We have a CD single coming out for Raspberry Swirl. That version with the drums on that is the lip gloss version. There's an ambient raspberry mix on there and a spark ambient mix. I thought Raspberry Swirl worked live. It was very visceral. Yeah, it's funny how things live start to change. We start to develop something when we're playing live. You know, you can't go back and remake the record. And it wouldn't be right because that really wouldn't fit on Choir Girl like that, the lip gloss version. It's a balance, too. On record, there are distinct elements that come into your head that you want to lay down in a certain way. But then, once it gets into a live performance, the energy can direct you in a different way. I loved this song live. I didn't have goggles to show for it. But again, I wasn't part of that hot L.A. Tory crew. 
Oh, man, we should bring goggles back for 2020. You know, in 2017, David Henderson brought glow sticks. <laughs> and every oh, time she right. Would, every time she would do Raspberry Swirl in 2017, we'd break open the glow sticks and just like... Of course, I was the recipient of glow sticks on several occasions. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you think of this quote? I think she's so right. Like, I love the lip gloss version, and maybe because it reminds me of the live performances, but it wouldn't fit on the album with that sort of extra busy, banging percussion. It would just stick out like a sore thumb. So I love that she knew that, and she was making those kind of editorial choices but she still wanted this version to live somehow not quite the same thing but you know similarly i wish we'd gotten at least plugged horses onto venus and back but they could have also just sort of cut it in the studio and you know done what's a... so interesting is that sometimes we point to butterfly as being the bridge or the link between pink and pele and we always point to siren as being the bridge between pele and choir girl but because venus happened so fast after choir girl there was no real bridge we'd have to point to a the live performances evolving as the bridge to venus and also maybe a thing like the lip gloss version you know that doesn't live on choir girl but it could closely Mm. live on venus well you can't get to venus by bridge any more than you can get to ireland by car i don't believe it (laughs) believe it before we get into the line by line david shaggy wants to tell you something okay i want to hear it Posted to Really Deep Thoughts, May 1998, from Beth. The first thing I have to say is, I love how exhilarating it feels to sing the ra ah 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 swirl part. If you take your breaths the same way she does, it leaves you with this amazing and very short high, a little like doing Lamaze or something. It's fun! From Jess. I just love From the Choir Girl Hotel. My fave is Raspberry Swirl. I so agree with Lucy's comment that you can't listen to it and not dance. The hard part is listening to it when you're driving. The urge to beep the horn and time to the music is overwhelming. Although fortunately for me and my license, I have restrained myself so far. I hope it hits the nightclubs ASAP so I can full on dance to it elsewhere other than my room. The thought of Professional Widow and Raspberry Swirl being played back to back makes me quiver from Eric. The band and Tori must have had a good time recording. You can almost feel the fun and see Caton smiling. It seems that Tori found and chose just the right musicians for her band experience. Just to demonstrate that I'm still able to find words of criticism, I could very well live without Raspberry Swirl. It reminds me a lot of the worst song on YKTR. It is not really bad, but it does not have the same richness as other Tori songs. I do not like it. For me, it is cheap and boring. Still, it could be a good song for concerts. Did she really want to do this, or did the record company ask her to have a song like this on the album? feel like she's slightly pronouncing it lesgo lesbo Les- lesbo <laughs> <laughs> okay but assuming the printed lyrics are correct where are we going girl's town i can tell you that what i like so much about this album in general when i listen back to boys for pele and they say that the church really became a character on the album or really became very instrumental to the sound of the album it's true you really hear the performances in a in an enormous open space and there's little things there's little markers there that you wouldn't get if they were recording it in studio what i think is signature to this album is kind of that dirty gritty quality things like
like cut it again yeah or, let's go or like her <laughs> in the middle of black dove all of these things that are incorporated that are very rock that are very rock band performance you know yeah so let's go fits right in there for me right i don't know where we're going though you don't know where we're going all right well we're gonna find out as if we didn't already know by the thump in at the beginning this sort of communicates right away that this is a dance track let's Go. Get on your feet. <laughs> Off your asses. Yeah. <laughs> they have ants in the pants. They just want to dance. So let's talk a little bit about that vocal production here in the beginning. Yeah, she's really sort of playing with processing her vocals in a way that she hadn't up until this point, I would say. And I remember, I think it was Rolling Stone, but it might have been Spin, um, where the review was largely positive, but they couldn't resist getting a few digs in. And the reviewer says, you know, she's not doing anything that Depeche Mode didn't do 15 years ago by making her voice sound like it's coming through a toilet paper tube, (laughs) 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 which is rude. But um, I like it. These days, she really bumps her vocals up super high. So I like that she was processing it, using effects, burying it, um, that her voice became an instrument uh, in and of itself in a way that she hadn't quite experimented with before. What do you think? I wish she would continue to do that because Tori has a very unique, distinctive voice. She can reach these notes. She sounds like an angel sometimes. And because it's so ethereal or it can be, I really like to hear it buried in the mix. I really like to hear it distorted and crunchy and coming from all sides, from under things, from between guitar strings. I wish she wouldn't always push it so high up in the mix because it could be really interesting when playing around in different relationships with the instruments. Like any kind of shoegaze band knows what I'm talking about. Any kind of band that's like screaming from underneath the guitars, that's what I want. So I really like this moment. I agree. And as we kind of got into on Spark, it can also be a way to introduce a different character or to sort of express that the character that we're with throughout the song is at a different point in time. So that's really interesting too. I wish we would get more of that. Mm -hmm. It's another way to sort of expand her palette as a storyteller, I think. Agreed. To me, that's a way of saying like, don't call me baby. Yeah, I'm not your woman. Yeah, I am not your lady, something along those lines. Yeah, I don't belong to you. Yeah, and dare we go back to our Father Lucifer episode where you uncovered that gem where she's sort of improvising around uh, not being your sombrero, having some (laughs) some sweet margs. I am not your sombrero. (laughs) We'll play that during the live section. I wonder if that is inspiration or if that's a big joke. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. We may have uncovered um, a thread of, of Latin culture on this album it was released on Cinco de Mayo she is not our senorita she's not our sombrero I don't know there's something weird going on here that doesn't quite make sense to me here's like I'm not your woman and you don't even know who I am you don't we're not we don't even roll with the same people yeah there is nothing similar between us we are a different different worlds yeah exactly This is taking it back, you know, straight back to Adam and Eve, where everyone blames Eve for taking the, and eating the apple. So there's like a whole religious thread here in a strange way. It's very, like that line to me strikes me as very Tory. Yeah, well said. Uh, we're definitely in the garden of original sensuality here, um, where li- women have long been blamed for, you know, nothing more or less than the entire downfall of mankind <laughs> or, or humankind. <laughs> yeah. So she's sort right. of shrugging that off. Like, original sin? I don't think so. I did no crime. <laughs> it wasn't me. But I saw you in the shower. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't me. me. 
<laughs> One of my mom's favorite songs. Who, who doesn't like Shaggy? <laughs> she loves him. <laughs> she loves Shaggy in any of his forms. Again, we hear I'm not your senorita. I am not from your tribe. Twice for emphasis. If you want Is there punctuation in the liner notes? Uh, specifically, is there a comma after if you want inside her comma well? There is punctuation in the liner notes. It's if you want inside her well comma. Oh. But it's split into two lines, further vagifying it. If you want inside her next line well comma, boy, you better make her raspberry swirl. Mm hmm. So it can be taken both ways, but I always went out, you know, it took me years to hear it the other way. I always heard, if you want inside her, well, boy, you better make a raspberry swirl. Which makes more sense. I'm a little hesitant because I feel like we're going to get in trouble, much like the peanut butter hand fiasco, if we compare a woman's anatomy to a stone tunnel <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> no, but a well is like a deep ocean, right? A well is a deep... He has a well, you have an ocean. Oh, maybe it's not a deep ocean. Maybe it's the opposite. It's like a fountain. Yeah. If you want inside her fountain. You can make a wish on it or in it. Wishing on a well. <laughs> But knowing Tori and kind of a tendency to a little uh, wordplay or double meaning, it may in fact be if you want inside her well. Or if you want inside her, well, boy, you better make a raspberry swirl. <laughs> I think that's the new debate. I think someone should ask her, but I think truly this time it would be both. Are you team well or team well? No, team noun or team interjection. I always hear it as if you want inside her well. So I'm sticking with that. Like if you want inside the well that she has? Yes, right. If you want to lower your bucket in there. I always heard if you want inside her, like not just her Virginia, but also her heart, inside her mind, inside her body, if you want to be inside her. Well then, dot, dot, dot. You know, let me tell you. Young Naive Me, though I loved this song from the jump. Was there ever such a thing as Young Naive You? I find that hard to believe, yes, but go on. That I had no idea that a raspberry was a metaphor for a clitoris or a clitoris, however you choose to pronounce it. Mm -hmm. It seems so obvious to me now that I'm worldly, but then <laughs> I thought like make a raspberry swirl. It's just like a phrase. You better make her heart jump. You better make her heart skip a beat. You better make her raspberry swirl. Yeah. God knows what I was thinking. I just, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that that was a thing people did. <laughs> Well, no one else has ever put it that way, quite that way, I don't think. So, right. Also, I'm sorry, I'm not an expert on this subject, but if it's starting to resemble a raspberry, shouldn't you call someone and get that checked out? Because I'm not sure that's normal. I will say that this is one of the most straightforward lyrics that we've gotten from Tori. Yeah, for sure. I mean, actually going through it now, this entire song, these as a whole are some of the most straightforward lyrics we've ever gotten from Tori. Yeah. Um, yeah. Up until the thinly veiled metaphor of the raspberry, which, you know, that's a tough nut to crack, but we nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, as she has sort of indicated and talked about extensively in the press for this album, you know, there's a moment when the men in her friends' lives aren't able to step up and um, give her friends what they need and she's willing to do it on some level despite the mm -hmm. fact that she's not willing to go all the way into their juices this is kind of the fantasy of the song where Tori steps in for the man and right. does what he's not right. able to do sisters are doing it for themselves and to each other yeah <laughs> 
What I like about it too is that she's defending them and also honoring them. If you want insider, boy, you better make a raspberry swirl. She's not going to settle for less. You have to really excite her. She deserves nothing less. Yeah. You know, when I think about it, Tori really does have a little bit of a fixation on the female orgasm. At least she used to. You remember when she would introduce Pretty Good Year with the story and she'd be talking about Greg's letter and how he was sort of lamenting, not knowing what women wanted. And she'd throw stuff in there like, well, you know, you have to take sculpting classes and then make us come 15 times. I'm like, I'm pretty sure his letter didn't say that, but <laughs> maybe it did. <laughs> so she is always kind of taking it there. Everybody knows that I can do what she needs done. Like, if you're going to take my place, you need to be really badass. Mm -hmm. Is this just a love letter to Cunnilingus? Is it really just that? I think it's more so a love letter to the women, not the sexual act oh. itself. But maybe, maybe the Cunnilingus is the PS at the end. But I mean, is it really just about that? Like, is there any deeper? I mean, I'm here like looking for the meaning of like, you really have to excite her. You really have to make her feel honored. But is it really just like you have to eat hair pie? Like, really, you just have to eat her out. Like, is that what it's about? Well, I think the way into this song is perhaps a lot of men's inability to meet women's emotional needs. But then there's also the old chestnut of, you know, men don't know what to do and can't find a woman's G-spot to save their lives. So you need another woman to kind of step in there and hit the, hit the emotional and the physical G-spot, maybe. I've never found it. <laughs> you haven't tried that hard, have you? I think I've hit a woman's aural G-spot, like through her ears. Oh, just using your voice? Just your words? Yeah, <laughs> just my words. You've just this podcast. You've induced female eargasms? Multiple. I don't know, ladies, let me know. Mul let us know if I have. Please do. <laughs> Tweet us if you've ever had multiple eargasms while listening to this show. I am not here we go again, reappropriating Mexican culture. Yep, and she tries it with the accent too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you read Don't Aim So High or how do you receive that? I read it as kind of like a dig, like, oh, you know, this gentleman that she's singing to or this man that she's singing to is so about, like, you know, that guru that they met in New Mexico or that Beanie was dating in New Mexico that's kind of inspired Cornflake Girl. Beanie said in our interview with her that she was dating a, a shaman of some kind, right? But that it wasn't, he wasn't a good guy. Mm. Is that the man with the and, golden gun? Yeah, and he ended up being the man with the golden gun. Right. And I don't aim so high, I think, is like, it's kind of like a read on him, on him thinking that he's better than everyone else. I totally agree that this is delivered with sarcasm. It's like this man right. who thinks he knows so much, please. <laughs> exactly. You sign Prince of Darkness. Try Squire of Dimness. Oh, damn. That is a sick burn. And she won't be convinced otherwise. So she's not going to fall for your, for your shaming and your guilt-inducing male ways. Yeah. I think this lyric is really on the page, all of it. If you want You better. You better do it. Yeah. We'll settle for nothing less. She and I will settle for nothing less than you making her raspberry swirl. Mm. And I want pictures. Do you ever just picture a smoothie when you hear raspberry swirl? No, but whenever I've gotten raspberry swirl cheesecake or like seen raspberry swirl cheesecake at like a house of pies, you know, I always do like a little side smirk. Right. Okay. Okay, Tori, I see you. And to be fair, a good cheesecake can be intensely sexual. Seriously, if you want inside my well, you better bring me a cheesecake. You better bring me a raspberry swirl cheesecake. <laughs> no, just one <laughs> fork. Red, 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 red. 
that mimicking the act of cunnilingus with the way she's singing that? I'm sorry, the what of cunnilingus? The motion of cunnilingus with the way she's singing that. I'm trying to do it to see if that's how I would perform the act. I'm not sure. <laughs> but It's like you've got a, like a fast tongue motion. Yeah. If you're doing it right, maybe. Yeah. Speaking of the tongue motion, I'm sorry not to get too graphic, but that is what springs to mind um, when I really dig into the word swirl, a swirling tongue, <laughs> if you will. And I won't, but maybe you will. That's really crystallizing everything with swirl that little girl yep in american pie isn't there a gag about like a document being passed down through the generations on how to perform cunnilingus and like the signature move is called the tongue tornado or something like that the only time i've ever seen american pie was in the movie theater by myself it was the first movie i ever saw alone that's hilarious and i was so petrified to be there alone thinking that even though the lights were off and everyone was facing the screen and I was in the very back of the theater that somehow everyone knew I was there by myself and was very sad for the desperate sad teenage boy in the corner that didn't have any friends that wanted to see American Pie. Well, can we please just point out the beauty and the symmetry of you going to see a movie that's primarily about masturbation by yourself? Uh, <laughs> ever since then I've really gotten into seeing movies by myself. You know, I'd, I'd love, love to go see a movie by myself. I love seeing yeah. movies. Sometimes I love myself best alone. Sometimes Sometimes I love Happy Death Day best alone. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just have to take care of it yourself rather than do it with someone else who doesn't know what's going on or care. Again, repeating, like, step up to the plate, guys. Step up to the plate. Like, we need, we want you, and we want you to be there, but we want you to be good. Yeah, and you know what? No matter what, at the end of the day, Tori is always on team men. She loves a man. While she can take him down and have a little fun with him, she's still rooting for him, I think. A hundred percent. She's a guy's girl. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to give you another chance. <laughs> why she keeps telling us to go we've already been we've been there for 15 minutes yeah you want more that was enlightening i feel like i earned my cunnilingus card well that was easy it's like i got this badge for cunnilingus on my uniform and now i can move on i was picturing it more of like a lesbian passport <laughs> oh yeah like the stamp on my cunnilingus page exactly right like are you here on business <laughs> or pleasure oh, okay <laughs> uh, business yeah <laughs> it's not glamorous believe me it's just business this is just research <laughs> We are strangers in a strange land, I can tell you that. Yeah. If I were more committed to this podcast, research might look completely different. Well, keep in mind we were willing to go to the Abbey for Twinkle, but that's as far as we take it. Right. <laughs> but the end of this song here with kind of the fade out of she swirls, she swirls, and the heavy breathing, that's one of the moments that's as close to a live performance as we've ever gotten on record, I feel like. Really? Kind of. Again, it ever goes back or to, up not, to this point. Not ever, but probably up to this point. Like you were saying, with kind of the down and dirty elements, she doesn't sort of um, sand down the edges on this album. And with the heavy mm -hmm. breathing at the end, it's not unlike a live performance in that way. Like the end of She's Your Cocaine or The Waitress with the panting and all that stuff. Obviously, this is um, a very toned down version, but a preview of things to come for sure, so to speak. The way she performs it, even in like VH1 Storytellers, where the end is like. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. That's like her diving her face right in. Oh my God. She's like doing an invisible motorboat. <laughs> if let's, I think we should have a moment of silence here so our audience can do that too. Okay. On the count of three, we're all going to do it. On the count of three, one, two, three. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I don't know what that was. I'm shamed. I somehow started panting, and I also became Lynn Shay's landlady from Kingpin. Do you remember that character? Oh, it's no. not. It's not. No, it's not good. I apologize to everybody. Um, what's your favorite lyrical moment or your favorite lyric in this song? Oh. There's many to choose from, and they're varied from verse to verse. I really like I'm Not Your Senorita, especially because I feel like we've been chasing the bloodline of it. You know I love when Tori adopts an accent for no reason. You know, I'm Not Your Senorita makes me smile a little bit, but I really have to go with In the Garden, I Did No Crime. That's such a quintessential Tori line. And here in this song about stepping up where men can't, um, you know, an ode to Cunnilingus, she still manages to work a biblical reference in there. Like, let's stop and think about mm-hmm. how the patriarchy has villainized women <laughs> since the dawn of time. Right, so, right. <laughs> the fact that she can pepper that in there without, you know, no fuss. So I, much as batting an eye. Yeah, I respect that. It's that old thing I always go back to where someone like Oprah will just say, you know, there's only fear and love, right? Okay, got it. You know, in the garden, we did no crime. Yeah. Okay. No matter what you've heard. Right. Moving, moving on. <laughs> right. How about you? Where your favorite lyric is in the garden, I did no crime. And I agree with you that it's quintessential Tory, quintessential Tory topic. You know, I choose in my heart, in my heart, I did no crime because I think also this is quintessential Tory, the way she takes it from the biblical, takes it from, you know, the religious and into this can be thought of as like, you know, I am a woman. I had nothing to do with Eve in my heart. Why am I paying for you know, whatever crimes you think were committed by Eve. Mm. So in my heart, I did no crime. It just brings it to the personal. And I think that's both both sides of that are quintessential Tori. Yeah. If we were able to get our hands on Tori's lyric doodling notebook, do you think we'd see stuff scratched out where she was trying to incorporate a serpent or a snake here in the garden as like a male phallic symbol Mm. (laughs) that was stamped out? It wouldn't surprise me if she was workshopping that and just couldn't make it work. Maybe that's what that end is. Maybe that's all snake. A snake hiss? A snake with asthma? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like a laughing snake. Yeah, he's wheezing his way through the garden. (laughs) But I do like, I mean, that's a good thing that we didn't talk about is in the garden. It does call to mind, obviously, the Garden of Eve, the Garden of Sensuality calls to mind the snake, the whole Adam and Eve thing. Man meets woman, you know, they were naked in the garden, and it's a very sensual mm. time. Well, I kind of like that you pointed that out, because, you know, Adam and Eve were running around nude in the garden, and when they ate from the tree of knowledge, then they became aware that they were naked and felt shame. And that also sort of goes back to some of the quotes we read from Tori about looking at your shame head on or taking the wind out of shame sails. So she could also be using this song as a way to take shame out of sex act. Yeah, perhaps. That's true. She's like, the scales have fallen away from my eyes, and um, turns out I'm cool with uh, oral sex. I don't feel bad about it. It's cool. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> Try it. Do you think Tori's ever performed oral sex on a woman? That is a good question. I want to say no, but it wouldn't surprise me at some industry 80s party with Bugle Boy models if things had gotten a little crazy <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I'm also going to say no. Tori's very sure of herself. I've never had sex with a woman. You know, I'm a gold star. I bet Tori's a gold star too. Yeah, I am also a gold star. But do you think Tori's in any way like a three margarita lesbian? Where after a few drinks, she'll get cutesy and like kiss a woman. I'm sure she's kissed a woman. Right. But like really kiss, not just like a little. Who hasn't kissed a woman? No, even I've kissed a woman. Really? Like really that I have or really that I think she has? Well, I'm more, yeah, way more interested in you than Tori kissing a woman. Oh. 
Have you tongue no, kissed a I woman? S- yeah, I used what? to. So, I don't even know if I want to go here, but my old roommate, Jenna, we would throw all these wild parties in college. We, I lived with Jenna and Ophi, and we had this house that we called Genofrian House, and it was the three of us. <laughs> and we'd throw all these like crazy college parties. We would just get really, really drunk all the time. And of course, you know, like when a girl messes around with another girl just to get attention. Of yeah, course. that's what exactly. I, we just wanted the attention of everybody because we were so close. So we were just like making out all the time, but just like as a joke or so I thought and then Jenna revealed that she had feelings for me it's because I'm a, I smash it in the tongue department <laughs> once again I'm having a lot of feelings I want my childhood and my college years back because after hearing you I did it wrong and I was robbed <laughs> Um, I was wilder than most, let's be honest. And I'm also triggered because many, many times after I've made out with and kissed someone, they're like, oh, that was just a joke. I was doing it for attention. (laughs) What's your favorite vocal moment in this song? I feel like I should have a more ready answer considering this song was nominated for Best Rock Vocal Performance. So Mm -hmm. the whole thing is a knockout. I'd have to say my favorite vocal moment is towards the end in the the second go-round of When All the Boys Can't Be Men, Everyone Knows I'm Her Friend, and she kind of draws out, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite vocal moment? Um, anytime she says, Again, with like the uh, cunnilingus chin wag, maybe? Yeah. It's just so bizarre the way she says "reya eya <laughs> Shall we listen to Yanta? There is Yanta, huh? No cruel, but he there. did swirl. I can't wait. You know what? I'm imagining this was the first thing he did ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's unpack this Tori Amos girl. Let's do raspberry swirl. Let's ease into it. Naked. So naked, this swirl. I know. I'm finding myself wanting to just jump in here and beatbox. The boys are not being men. I need to step up and pew, pew, pew myself. I'm surprised that the piano is present throughout on the studio version. Yeah, that there's so much. Yeah, it's pretty buried underneath all the percussion and everything else going on. Hearing it like this makes me feel like I understand that Tori followed Matt. Matt and Andy came up with the beat and she's following along, right? Mm, yeah. Because I can't imagine hearing that piano naked like that and coming up with the drums that Matt did. I think she's following him.
Hearing it naked and stripped down like this, it's very lounge. There's like a lounge quality to it. Yeah, you know? do, you, do you think that's one of the reasons why Santa took ownership of it? Yeah, maybe. She could have taken it a step further and really given us a loungier take. You think in her head she's going, Absolutely. And again, that brings to mind sexual pounding of some kind when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This actually fills me with a little bit of anxiety hearing these yeah. <laughs> repetitive high That's... notes. Like, things are desperate. My goodness. bridge there yeah mm-hmm again there's more complexity to this than I initially realized see that is a very loungy move I remember her particularly unplugged you know, triggering the pew-pew sound on the keyboard, but really playing a lot of the song primarily on piano. And I kind of thought that was so she would have something to do, really, but um, she's actually sort of just mirroring the studio version, so. Yeah. That little part, that's a very lounge thing. That's as close to a glissando as I've ever heard on any of her records, for sure. So that qualifies itself as my favorite moment, my favorite musical moment. Let's, let's play it again so people know what I'm talking about. That part right there, yes. What about you? What's your favorite musical moment? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to hop on your bandwagon and go with that, too. I love it. I can picture Tori at the Marriott doing that move. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, as always, please support Yanta by heading over to patreon.com slash Yanta. He's working his way. Nearly completed the entire Tori Amos catalog much faster than we did. So if you can support him, please do patreon.com slash Yanta. So should we play another cover, David? Yeah, I'd love to hear one. What do we have? We got Raspberry Swirl by La Cosa Mostra. And you know, we've talked about Tori appropriating the use of the word senorita, but here La Cosa Mostra reappropriates Tori Amos. Take it away. Tribe. And the garden, I don't know. 
you swirlers and swirlets i have on the phone tom christopherson he's a visual artist from sydney australia and he's a swirl super fan hi tom hey how are you going uh, it's going good how are you pretty good pretty good happy to talk about raspberry swell the best and bestest tori amos <laughs> tell me how you first discovered tori's music give me some context okay so i definitely would have heard cornflake girl which in Australia was knocking about pretty much everywhere. And being like a young homosexual, I definitely was poking about sort of like a PJ Harvey gold frap sort of area. So I was sort of like ripe for the picking for the Tory <laughs> fandom, I guess you could say. So there was a compilation album called Indie Anthems and Conflict Girl was on that. And I remember being very, very obsessed, but then not sort of hearing anything or I guess seeking out Tory until... I went to art school and at art school, I met this guy who I became very good friends with and he was a Tory super fan and he basically curated <laughs> my Tory listening experience, which was really, really beautiful. But because we started right at the beginning, um, I was a little resistant, I guess, to little earthquakes. And I guess that's a common thing for like the gays. The first time you hear Tory is a little bit like, oh, oh my God. Yeah, that's pressing on some, some beautiful trauma that <laughs> yeah she sees me she sees right through my bullshit yeah i was like oh yeah got it here we all are so yeah it took a while i guess for it to click and for me to be like oh my god tori amos so i listened to some pele and i and i really liked it you know i was very into holes so the kind of like professional widow link with courtney was was a big in for me but then i heard choir girl and sort of everything changed even the sort of physical album the album art sort of spoke to me and was calling my name. And then when I heard Raspberry Swell, I was like, what is going on on this day? Why was this not the first thing that I heard? But look, I understand from a curatorial point of view of that you wanted to start, you know, traditionally and just like eat me in. But yeah, I heard Raspberry Swell and the world stopped. You know, when you listen to a song and it, it feels like it's opening a room in your brain mm -hmm. and sometimes the room you're like, oh, this room. Raspberry Swell opened a warehouse size sort of like vortex within me <laughs> that I was like, oh, yes, this sounds very, very familiar, but also completely new and right. So I became completely obsessed with Raspberry Swell, even in the second year of art school. So this would have been like maybe 2006, 2007. Oh, wow. I remember, wake, yeah, in my, it was later. Um, I remember waking up in my apartment and just like having to put that song on and just being able to listen to that song. <laughs> Were you I a fan of other dance music or was this like an anomaly? No, I am definitely a fan of other dance music. But there was just something about the Tory and dance music mashup that really grabbed me. And I almost went into like a beautiful mind, <laughs> space, <laughs> Russell Crowe space. Yes. Where yes. I, I really was obsessed with the track and also having, I guess, a little bit of experience with some earlier Tory stuff. I could appreciate 
that this was sort of the raggedy second cousin who had come to the party a little bit drunk and maybe already rolling on Molly amongst the <laughs> yes. back which I was definitely attracted to <laughs> as well. So there you are knocking about with Raspberry Swirl doing Molly. That's it, at the club, at the gay bar. <laughs> hey, let's go. Have you ever requested Raspberry Swirl from a DJ at a DJ booth? I haven't, but I have heard the remix in a gay bar in Sydney and absolutely like lost all my oranges and had a spiritual experience on the dance floor, probably to the point where a couple of other people were maybe concerned about me, but like that's <laughs> me to worry about. You're knocking about losing your oranges. I love Australia. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many turn of phrases waiting for you, Eve. <laughs> so you came to Tory relatively late, right? In 2005, 2006, you're saying? Yeah, that's right. It was pretty late. Like I had known about her, had seen her, but it wasn't until sort of 2006, 2007 that the Tory Hellmouth opened up and I just walked straight on in. And being such a fan of Raspberry Swirl, how do you feel about like looking back towards how she got to Raspberry Swirl? Like without Professional Widow, there wouldn't be a Raspberry Swirl. Like how do you have an affinity for those tracks seeing like the growth or do you just like Raspberry Swirl's it? That's the one. I'm obsessed with the track, full stop, but I really, really appreciate the history. Yeah, her working her way up to it, and then the unabashed explosion as well of Raspberry Swell, and the fact that, you know, the Choir Girl tracks are sort of standalone-ish or meant to be standalone-ish. Um, I just love that it is like, oh, my drugs are working, and then it is this sort of like fantasia of danger synths and siren piano, which I'm completely obsessed with. You're perfectly able to go off the record for this question, but have you ever done Molly while listening to Raspberry Swirl? Look, I can definitely say that maybe once or twice I may have experimented with things other than alcohol. <laughs> A jazz cigarette here or there. Um, <laughs> But even my friend who sort of introduced me to Tori, yeah, we commonly referred to it as Tori's drug song. What do you feel is the connection between that being Tori's drug song or, and she's talked about the video, like being, you know, an e-world as she calls it, or Molly or ecstasy. Yeah. How do you feel, yeah. what's the marriage between that and eating out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's that like reckless abandon and then, like, when you tie in the sort of the backstory with, like, it being about, like, Beanie's bad boyfriend and it being about, like, female empowerment and stuff, it just kind of feels like the lowest common denominator for all those things are, like, a kind of abandon or a sort of fuck you to mm. the establishment or the man, yes. if you will. Yes, I love that. Have you ever heard it live? Yeah, I actually requested it at the... Shut up. I was, yes, I requested it and she played it for me. Eve, picture this. The recital hall request show in sydney 2014 it was the first time that i went to a meet and greet and i have um, painted uh the pele breastfeeding pig picture in watercolor so i bought it for her to sign and i met her and it was really really incredible and she bought the notebook out and after she had complimented my work and signed the piece she asked me what song i wanted and I told her about Raspberry Swell and my obsession with it and how I listened to it day and night. And the, I think we spoke about the world of Raspberry Swell and how the world of Raspberry Swell is like a dangerous, fun place that I understood. And she asked me if my <laughs> parents were together and I said no. And she said, did your mom date? And I said, yeah. And she, we just smiled at each other. So there was an <laughs> understanding. And then when um, I requested it, she wrote it across other requests. Like she wrote it all swirly across two pages and 
looked at me with like a very cunning smile. (laughs) So I kind of knew to expect it. But then I was so, so lucky that a group of Tory superfans in Australia who go by the Australian mole posse um, upgraded. I love Australia. (laughs) They upgraded my ticket to the front row. Um, I was somewhere at the back because the tickets were sold out in a couple of minutes. But something happened and there was words with Mindy. And then right before the show, I literally was front row center. Mm. Um, That was incredible. But at the end, she came back on teetering in the pink high heels with a lip gloss and was grinning (laughs) straight at me (laughs) and then started the little drum machine and played Raspberry Swell. I love that. It's not like she can just play the song, but she's got to look at you right in the yeah, I'd be like, you, I'm doing yours next. Grinning. She was yeah. grinning each like a Cheshire. <laughs> and it was an incredible raspberry swell. It's on YouTube. You can go and check it out. But yeah, it was really, really just like free. And everyone was dancing in the front row. And it was just like a beautiful, a beautiful moment. Well, what a great story. Of course, we'll play that in our live section later. Thank you, Tom, for chatting with us and giving us that amazing story. Tom Christofferson, you can find him on Instagram at Tomopoly, T-O-M-O-P-O-L-Y. He's a visual artist out of Sydney and he loves his Molly but he loves his sorrel more thanks Tom thanks so much bye bye Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm great, Ethan. How are you? I'm so excited to have you back. I'm, it's such a joy. First, are you team noun or team interjection? I think this is just, it is a great example of being able to read a word two ways, and she does this all the time. So I really have to cop out and say both. I think it works both ways. So I'm staunchly team noun in other arenas. What do you like most about Raspberry Swirl? It's a Tory banger. Where is the best place you can think of in the world to listen to Raspberry Swirl? The pregame. What would be the name of your tribe? Uh, It has a name called Fairy. What three qualities do you look for in a dance anthem? Um, drums, panting, let's go. (laughs) And uh, some kind of emotional heft. Those are always the best ones, I'd say. What three qualities do you look for in a raspberry? Smell, of course. If anyone doesn't know this, you, you should only buy berries by smelling them first. If they don't smell sweet and nice like a berry, then you don't buy them. Um, juiciness and color. We suspect we know how to make your raspberry swirl, but what does it take to make your heart swirl? Mm-hmm. Um, make my raspberry swirl. Did you hear about the sad raspberry I went out with last month? Why was he sad? Because his parents were in a jam. <laughs> If you suddenly right now screamed, let's go, where would you be taking us? Uh, Right now, I mean, I'm taking you just to the other room. We have (laughs) four options, I guess. (laughs) How does one stop themselves from becoming desperate for a man's attention? Um, Bruce says that if one thinks of the man he is when he no longer loves this person, it's easier than to to get by. You're at a drug-fueled 90s rave from sundown to sunup. Where does Raspberry Swirl fall on your playlist, and why? Uh, like 1 a.m. Raspberry Swirl feels peak, you know? It is this invitation to go and and keep going. Um, But you have to have a little juice in you already from the night. So 1 a.m. feels right. Who in your life would you gift the perfect swirl to? 
Well, I think of Raspberry Swirl as in the way Tori, I think, is thinking of her female friends. I think of Raspberry Swirl as about my straight male friends, you know, the straight men I'll ride for, for whom I'm their man. I want to give it to the straight men in my life. I think they need it. I think they neglect them a little bit. Michael, tell the people where they can find you online. Okay, I thought of a much better answer to this question, which is find me on Twitter because my name my name on Twitter is just at Michael Carley. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> my Instagram is linked there if you are so inclined for a little peep show. Michael Carley on Twitter. Great. And the little boy again. I love the idea that he's trying to show the grown-ups a different ecstasy. Um, you know, having indulged myself in jello and deciding that it's not really my kind of ecstasy, I found it funny that these little red heads that he has kind of shown her or her um, are reduced into becoming pigs because <laughs> You know, overindulgence does make you a pig, whether it's with dessert ecstasy or other. And um, we've all overindulged, haven't we? Overindulgence makes you a pig, David. I'm not familiar. I'm overindulging in quarantine right now. I'm a quarantine pig. (laughs) Rolling around in your own jello and filth. Rolling around in my own solace and anxiety. (laughs) So we're going to watch the video. We're going to give you a moment, everybody out there, to cue it up with us. And we're going to watch. We're going to do a little commentary track. Then we're going to discuss the video. I love a mini Uh, watch party. Serves to note that the music video uses the lip gloss version of the song. Yeah, which is closer to the way that the song was performed live on the plug tour. So I have to sort of believe that this is her preferred version, especially after spending time with it live. It has a little extra punch. We're going to say three, two, one, play. That's what we're going to say. So ready? Three, two, one, play. That red curtain instantly reminds me of two things. David Lynch and Madonna Like a Prayer. It doesn't remind you of the female genitalia? We're going backstage behind those (laughs) curtains? No. Okay. Just checking. Not until right now. We see Tori here with almost black hair. They're not really accentuating the redness of her hair, but he's got red in his hair. And she's kind of going down to another world. Mm. Thick with meaning and symbolism as always. This is one of my favorite sequences in any Tori video, just her letting loose in that I know, you do love this. Yes. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. And believe it or not, as many times as it comes up for me, I have zero attachment to Alice in Wonderland. But there is a little white rabbit thing happening there at the beginning. Oh, yeah, for sure. With, like, the pitter-patter, and she's following into this underworld, so. Yeah, and she's, like, suddenly too big for everything, and she's crawling through the house. I love it. I love this video. This is my, probably my favorite video. I, I don't know why. I kind of forget about this one, but I absolutely agree. It's one of her what? best, if not the best, especially, you know, it appeals to my sensibility for sure. Here's my favorite part coming up right here. She's uh, kicking her us. leg through that painting. Damn, show I love it. Leg. She looks so hot. Yes. That is so David Lynch, Creeper Creep Town, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I love yes. it. Those, that guy and the boy. Dance party. I'm sorry, I love this, Ah. but this is club scene on a budget. 
You know, those, yeah. those oh, for sure. Those twelve people were there under a bare bulb for like eighteen hours. They're like, dance, yeah, dance like the snow tomorrow. We got to get this dance. shot. But you know, they instead of hiding it and trying to make it seem like a bigger party, they contain them in a velvet rope yeah. so it's more dreamlike. No, and then this he is the VIP and they area. Start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, like much like the Mariah Carey early videos. They would put people around Tori that knew how to dance. <laughs> they would put people around Mariah who knew how to dance to make it seem like she could bang it out. Oh, man. Oh, it's my favorite part. Get ready. Okay. Ooh. Her whispering into that man's ear. I stole that right there. I saw that imagery for one of my videos that I directed. That's worth stealing. And I'm sorry, I and then do think I spotted gone. Santa wandering around through that crowd from behind. Oh, I think this is her first Santa. appearance. I love it. I love it. Oh, this. Cuties. I'm sorry. I'm a little put off by that boy's sneakers. I feel like that was um, kind of a comfort choice, and they weren't necessarily intended to be included in the shot, but there they are. <laughs> My brother had a very similar look to this kid when he was growing up, and like with a T and he would always wear sneakers. This to me is the most disgusting sequence. I can't watch it. I yeah. can't watch yeah. the food fighting. But the sneakers remind me of Harley's little sneakers. And we got 10 little Tory pigs, 10 little wig pigs. <laughs> Look at those little shoes. And the little pigs. There's kind of like an element of the movie Freaks here too in this scene with like, goobble gobble, goobble gobble, one of us, one of us. It's disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> That whole eating sequence, I directed a play called The Striker, and they have to feast. And of course, they bow kind of. That's what reminds me of Madonna's Like a Prayer is how they. Mm. Doesn't she bow at the end? Maybe? Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. But I directed a play called The Striker, and there's this like underworld demon feast sequence. <laughs> and I was like, watch this video. This is how you need to eat. And they did it. I love that bow at the end in the curtain. It's like, you know, normalcy and reality have been restored. Don't be scared, everyone. We were just pretending. <laughs> it was just a yeah, show. Right. It was just a show. <laughs> um, I'm going to read you a little bit from Tori Stories. This is the promo booklet for the Tori Amos videos VHS. She says this about Raspberry Swirl. I will tell you this. Kids and pigs mixed together with their gorging of sweets and excited kitty poo vomit and literally piggy poo and cake pudding pie icky oogie sugary pukey all messy together sitting there rotting under the lights take after take and you wonder why I carry an oxygen machine card holder since 94. Raspberry was one of the longer days of my life. Karen pulled in these younger directors, Barnaby and Scott. I liked the idea, their visual sense, and their openness to Karen's mad visions. She was inspired by an urban Alice in Wonderland feel, oh. if I recall the treatment correctly. Kids and red wigs, red wigs, little Tories, she said. This boy leading me into a world where Karen truly lives. Every movie ever made, Karen can give her version. A road ain't no one ever, ever thought of pushing. A long but magical day. Can we talk about Karen Binns for a second? I feel like she gets a lot of credit for the creative direction, particularly of Tori's videos, but just kind of her visual style and even the artwork in general. Like it seems she was pretty heavily involved in Native Invader, aside mm -hmm. from just wardrobe. And Tori mentions Karen a lot being on the set of these videos. So I just find that interesting that Karen's club life was part of the inspiration for this clip. I really love this video. It's very clear to me that the little boy is leading Tori 
Ori towards a new kind of ecstasy or a new world, as she says in her commentary on Fade to Red. Mm. Um, there's something magical about this video because it's so unique. It's so bizarre. It is so weird, but it's fun. I think it holds up for sure. Yeah. I think this yeah. has aged the best out of any of Tori's videos, really. You mean visually? Yeah. There's that one shot of the kid, the boy, like laughing with his head back with the food all over his lips that I cannot. No. Handle. I can't handle that shot. No, it's that grotesque. That shot sickens me. But I think it's meant to be. <laughs> For sure. Well, mission accomplished. Because when you overindulge, you're a pig. Don't never eat a jello mold again. <laughs> Do you think there's any chance that the creepy David Lynchian character in the Raspberry Swirl video is also the man missing part of his finger in Spark? Interesting question. And also in Jackie's strength. Yeah. He's in that video as well. I would like to say, because I love a through line, I love a connected universe, that yes, he is, but he's in the boy's world, right? But how do you interpret it? Because she says in the commentary, he's showing her a different kind of ecstasy. She was really obsessed with the e-culture of the time, she says, and he was showing her a different kind of ecstasy, mm -hmm. um, which is jello ecstasy. <laughs> and there's that moment where he closes his eyes and she closes her eyes, and then he opens his eyes and she opens her eyes and they're in the food world. Yeah. Right. So that leads me to believe then that the club world, I'm getting to your question, I swear, just the long way. That leads me to believe that the club world is her world, right? She's showing him her world, her dance world, because here she is flirting with dance. Maybe that's why it's not a full dance club. Maybe that's why it's just sort of a half dance club. She's flirting with dance tracks. She's showing She's, she's showing not a part of the Rhythm Nation, but she's passing through. Exactly. If that is her world, then yes, maybe he's there, because he's kind of creepy, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and they the best do, way. They do leave him behind. You know, I really don't think that there's any narrative link whatsoever between Spark and Raspberry Swirl. But just looking at these videos, I could sort of see Swirl as a sequel to Spark. And I don't hate the idea that this is what happens after that car with the twins drives off and she collapses on the side of the road. And this is kind of her fever dream afterlife, <laughs> maybe. And that that creepy man is the man missing part of his finger who continues to pursue her, even in death or at least unconsciousness. You know, I love this game, finding the link between the two videos, because what I think happens then, if I'm playing this game, is that the twin angels slash devils leave her on the side of the road. And the little boy, he sees her. He's like, come with me. I'll take you to a better world and then he leads her by the hand through the club into the kitchen <laughs> that's what i want my afterlife to look like for sure <laughs> you know obviously we reached out to barnaby and scott the two directors who were responsible for this video they both actually declined to be interviewed separately and together they declined barnaby said he did not like interviews and scott really didn't give a reason but they both have gone on to have incredible directing careers are both very successful in the creative ad agency world so if you ever get a chance to take a look at some of their campaigns they're really stunning we did what we could but we broke our streak sadly we did our best we tried Ugh. in the movie of from the choir girl hotel who would you cast as raspberry swirl oh i love this game i got it are you ready i'm ready i'm going with k stew really Kristen stewart as raspberry swirl yeah wow <laughs> Okay. How come? I don't know. I just feel it. Like I could see her like really go into town, but pretending like she's not all that into it. <laughs> I like her sense yeah. of I like her <laughs> sense of detachment when it comes to pleasing a woman. Like I could do this with my eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back, and she probably has. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? So as Raspberry Swirl, I would cast Parker Posey because I can see her fiercely defending her woman friends, but just not eating hair pie. I'm not gonna do it. No. <laughs> not no no. 
<laughs> no. Interesting choice. I love it. I would not have guessed that in a million years. And I love, I love uh. Parker Posey. I could absolutely see Raspberry Swirl saying, I would like your most powerful mind-altering substance, preferably something that would make my unborn child grow gills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is as good a time as any to plug my new podcast with Shaggy, which is called Natasha, a Parker expose. <laughs> it's going behind each of Parker Posey's films in chronological order. We haven't recorded a lick of it yet, but it's coming eventually. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, you better get on it because we've never needed it more than in these troubled times. I know, but the trouble is I'm obsessed with starting from the beginning and going chronologically, obviously. And I'm like very OCD about that fact. And the very first movie she was ever in is very hard to track down and we're working on it. Mm. That's so it, it may be dead in the water before we ever begin, but look for it soon. Natasha, a Parker <laughs> expose. It's going to happen. I have the utmost confidence in you and your sleuthing skills. Thank you. This is NPR. This is Josh Barrow, and welcome to Left, Right, and Center, your civilized yet provocative antidote to the self-contained opinion bubbles that dominate Torlitical debate. It's the fourth week of November, 1998, and Tori Amos, self-described cornflake girl and daughter of a Methodist minister, has just released the third single from her fourth album from the Choir Girl Hotel. Besides being an apparent anthem for cunnilingus, this single, entitled Raspberry Swirl, sees Amos diving face-first into uncharted territory. Perhaps owing to the incredible success of her club hit, Professional Widow, Raspberry Swirl brings with it an unrelenting rhythm to mask or perhaps enhance its provocative lyric. Is the latest offering from this once piano-clad songstress a sly attempt at perverting the malleable minds of the millions of adoring teenagers who look to her as their savior? Or is she simply just not your senorita? Here to discuss is our left, right, and center panel. As always, I'm your center and moderator. I'm joined today by two ears with feet, which is how the worshippers of Tori Amos refer to themselves. On the right, we have Glow Hawa, a music fan and internet junkie from Los Angeles. Hello, Glow. Hello, Ephraim. Well, that's an interesting name, but the name is Josh. And on the left, <laughs> we have Jane Lamb, a graphic artist from Melbourne, Australia. Hello, Jane. Hi, Ephraim. Again, it's Josh. Glow, let's begin with you. In a few words, please describe how you came to Tori Amos' music and where you find yourself in your fandom today, November 24th, 1998. It's 1998, and I am riding high on the Tori Amos wave. I just saw a couple shows in 98. One of them was Legendary, and here I am. You know, can't wait for the future. Uh, why are you saying 1998 so much? It's almost as if you can't believe that's the year we're in. <laughs> because that's a fabulous year. And that's where I am. <laughs> Jane, tell us your story. How did you discover Tori Amos? And where do you find yourself in your fandom today? November 24th, 1998. Okay, I discovered her, let's see, Little Earthquakes was January 1992. So six short years ago. We obviously don't have any computers that can give us information just like that. We have to look at <laughs> the magazines and the free inkies that are handed out at university, etc. So um, I read about this new artist, Tori Amos, and I really got into Little Earthquakes. It really moved me. Am I allowed to talk about the English singer-songwriter with the initials KB? By all means, Jane. This is a political show and we discuss every manner of politician here. Go ahead. <laughs> I, th I thought I'd just better make, make sure. Um, and having been a convert of Kate's music, I was totally drawn in. So when the advertising started to come out, it was like this new singer, she plays the piano. She's a bit like Kate Bush, but Kate Bush had not released an album for three years, I think. And I was like, okay, I'm getting a vibe from this woman. 
Jane, you sit on the left of our panel as a champion and enthusiast of Raspberry Swirl. Can you please explain to our audience what it is that moves you about this song? Well, I mean, the first thing about it is that it's a damn catchy song. It really is a song that you want to get up and dance to. But as with everything Tory, there's always something going on beneath the surface. So you've got what the kids uh, will possibly in the future called bangers, you know, great tracks that really get you up and get you moving. But there's more to it than that. There's layers of production that are telling you all these different things. You listen to it on your headphones and you go, what's this all about? What kind of magic spell is she weaving here? And it's unlocking what could be a really simple style of song, a dance song, into something much more deeper and with cheer. So it seems to have the best of both worlds. Well, that's a new term I've never heard before, banger. Are there any lyrics in this particular banger that you find specifically enjoyable, Jane? Yeah, I think it opens with a real aggressive lyric. I am not your senorita. I am not from your tribe. So she's not saying everybody on the dance floor. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but she's saying this is an angry song. It's dressed up in the, the sound of the dance song. But she is saying, I'm not happy with this situation. What is going on here? I demand answers. And that, to me, is really attractive, that she's using this sexy kind of music. But the lyrics are going off and saying, hey, things aren't right. Glow. It would appear that you're not necessarily an ears with feet for this particular song. Is that how one would say it? Would you mind sharing with our listeners why this might not be a song you ears with feet for? (laughs) I definitely love that term, ears with feet, first of all. Secondly, let me go back to where I used to be. uh, When I first discovered Tori, the first thing I loved was the girl with the piano. And I held on to that as much as I could. And then cool, she introduced the band, you know, in 98. And um, The year we're in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she introduced the band in this year. And it was cool. I was um, holding on to that magical feeling of her and the piano. And I invited some of the band in, which is cool. But then this song came along, Raspberry Swirl. And it took the whole girl with the piano adding the band thing into a whole completely different world. And I don't know if I'm okay with it because you want to leave that shit for Madonna. You want to leave that to like Donna Summers, you know, the the whole club scene. Not Tori Amos, is it? Glow, are there any lyrics in this song that you find maddening or self-indulgent? I actually don't have that big of a problem with the lyrics. I actually embrace the lyrics because she's talking to the female, you know, the female version of everything. And, you know, we don't need that guy. Let me swirl you, baby. But it's done in a club setting. And that's one thing I don't know if I can get behind. It's a club song. I seem to understand. Do you just not consider yourself an ears with feet for the dance world? Ephraim, if you know me, I do my gothic dances in the clubs, okay? I go to Velvet, and then afterwards we go to Del Taco on Santa Monica Boulevard, and we just, we just you know, dance all night. It's like the Pesh Mode and the Cure, and we're depressed and we're gothic. We don't want to talk about, like, lesbians eating each other out on the dance floor to Tori fucking Amos. Well, that's graphic for National Public Radio. Moving on. Jane. Let's discuss the video. This video has been described by journalists across the world as decadent, hedonistic. 
I believe one journalist from YouTube Comments Magazine described the video as Tori Amos so much leading children to Satan. Do you agree? Uh, well, it's 100% hedonistic and decadent. As for the uh, commenter, I think Tori is definitely saying, let's look at some alternative pathways. I do understand that in America, it's a very big deal and Europe. It's quite a Christian country and that rock music is perceived as a lots of hidden doorways to damnation. But I think Tori's idea of leading kids to Satan is not the same thing. For a start, I'd question that she's leading the kids. I think the kids are leading her as much as anything else. I think it's a circle. And yeah, there's hedonism. Look, there's so many visual puns. I mean, we see Tori as a brunette, which is shocking to us EWFs because, you know, she's famous for being a redhead and she's pretty much a brunette in this video, but all of the kids have her hair. So the kids are leading her, really, in their little village of the damned red wigs. And she's having a wild time laughing and smiling. And at the very end, she, of course, does the little curtsy in front of the velvet curtains with the little boy. I think that's a bit of a shout out to a uh, fairly recent TV show called Twin Peaks. But the red velvet curtains are also obviously suggestive of other things. It's my favourite video of hers. Not only does she look stunning, but um, she really lets go in it and she really is really throwing herself into this role of this woman who's travelling this slightly nightmarish Alice in Wonderland kind of world. Glow, what's your stance? After calling for Judas earlier this year on her single Spark and writing a love song for Lucifer on her last record, is the Raspberry Swirl video a further slip towards satanic worship? <laughs> the dramatics! Well, first of all, I actually like the video. I, I feel it's like Alice in Wonderland meets Twin Peaks, David Lynch. The thing I don't like about the video is that there wasn't enough layers of food you know how you stack the layers <laughs> like like a cake, like going high, like Marie Antoinette. Think about that. I don't think the food was <laughs> was as prominent as it should have been, like as fantastic as it should have been. I think the video is great, but it could have been like epic. It's almost as if you don't know what it's like to be on a budget, Glow. <laughs> Glow, do you have any final thoughts for the pro swirl community? Keep it with the piano and keep it out of a club story, Amos. Thank you very much, but nice try. Glow, please let our listeners know where they can find you. Well, I currently live on app forums and on RMTA and Yahoo groups, too. So look me up in all three places on the interwebs. Jane, what about you? Any final thoughts for the anti-swirl community? Do you find that if someone doesn't like swirl, it's because they don't like to swirl? Well, look, I wouldn't like to make a mass judgment like that. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, I mean, look, I personally prefer to give than receive in that respect. That's not really that important. What is important is not necessarily the, you know, the sexual side of it, but how deep are you going to go emotionally? How deep are you going to hold up this facade of masculinity? Because Tori talks about how this is a song written specifically for her female friends. And she wants to be able to be there when they had their hearts broken and they're not being treated well. And she goes, well, why can't I be the man and step up and do it? You know, it's an invite to, to a jewel. It's, it's a con confrontational song. It's like, can you step up and, and be the man that this particular woman needs? So it's sort of like perhaps some straight men feel a bit uh, threatened by this uh, woman who's saying, um, 
I am not your senorita. Don't call me mamzelle. She has things that she needs and she's very much a feminist and a woman's woman. So maybe maybe people feel a bit, anti-swirl people feel a little bit confronted by that. I'd like to end on that note, throwing down the gauntlet. That's all we have time for today. I want to thank Glohawa and Jane Lamb. Left, Right, and Center is produced by the Sideways Society. Our technical director is Oliver Donut. Kevin McLeod composed our theme music. I'm Josh Barrow. Tune in next week for another episode of Left, Right, and Center, where we'll take a look at a song that has been at the top of the charts for nearly 17 weeks, Touch It by Monifa. What exactly is she touching? That's next time. Good night, Glow. Good night, Jane. Good night. Good night, Ephraim, and thank you. The name is Josh. I keep telling you it's Josh. It's as if you don't understand a bit. If you don't understand it's called improv. <laughs>that was wild we've never had anybody from npr here before wow we've really made it that's legit you know we're on their radar yeah yes yes (laughs) maybe we can finally take them down on the itunes chart well i've been attempting to negotiate a deal where our show gets on to npr that's what you know we are a public service and tori amos is legend so i thought maybe we could be on npr (laughs) instead of us going there they came to us as it should be we've made it to the live section though are you excited i am excited for me this song lives live (laughs) Yes. It's all about the live performances. And kind of like I said with Black Dove, I kind of forget that the album version of this song exists because my focus is always on uh, on the live show. So, How do you feel about the song live? For me, nothing will surpass the 98 performances. That was so... We throw the word iconic around, but those were kind of iconic performances of that song. And so indicative of the fun of that era, how bombastic and huge and over the top it was. Talk about overindulging, much like in the Swirl video. That that tour was all about decadence, as were those performances. <laughs> sure was. So. Yeah. This is from Lighting Dimensions, January 1999, and this is an interview with Simon Seedy and Dan Boland, who are Tori's lighting guys. Even when passionately pounding her piano and singing about masturbation, rejection, or jealousy, yes, give me more, Amos has always projected an intimate rather than in-your-face vibe, and lighting designer Simon Seedy's stage lighting has subtly accentuated her style. But having recorded the album with the band, naturally she also took them with her on tour, which allowed her longtime LD to come up with a broader visual interpretation of her music than he had done in the past. City managed to light Amos's 1994 tour with only seven icon luminaires from light and sound design. Can you believe that, David? Just only seven? Seven. <laughs> seven. I would have guessed at least ten. In, in 1996, video was added, but the number of lamps grew only slightly. This time out, the lighting rig is as big as any rock show on tour. Amos introduced her audience to her new material and the band in a flurry of U.S. club dates last spring, then went off to do the same in Europe. When the tour returned to the U.S. in the summer, arenas and amphitheaters were on the agenda. City brought out the big looks on the club tour and simply built on his original design for the larger venues. It's almost exactly the same design as the club tour, except it's bigger, City says. When it was just Tori on stage, I always had to keep in mind the noise factor of the lights, but with the band, that's no problem. So, yeah. LSD's Barry Claxton sent out Dan Bowen to help City program the Icon console, and the pair spent a week putting the looks together during production rehearsals in Milwaukee. Poor Dan had never met me before, and he had to program every little detail to the nth degree, because I just on a six-month tour knew everything absolutely perfectly, City says. Although this was the big rig, and it was in its third phase, I wanted to have the same kind of looks, only bigger. One major change City did make was to switch over the wash lights for high-end system studio colors. I'm really glad I did that. Not only are they brighter, but they also have a great strobe in them and nice colors. I was very pleased with them. 
Bolin concurs. The studio colors random strobing feature is amazing, he says. To control the studio colors from the icon console, we run it through the universal guest luminaire interface. The ugly. So the shop faxed me some info on where it fits into the select panel on the icon console. They have from 1 to 100 in the shutter function. From 1 to 25 is strobing altogether. Then 25 to 90 is this random strobe. So we brought up at 50% and they came up. One of the best examples is Raspberry Swirl. The song has magenta and a light green as the base colors, with the studio colors strobing at random. During the song, I'll select different colors and bring them up, and all the kids scream and dance. It's a great effect. Nerd talk, nerd talk, nerd talk. I know. Luminar, that was strobe light, console, console, Very console. specific. But I imagine as um, someone with your theater tech background that that means way more to you than it does to me. Yeah, but what I love about that is let's not ignore the fact I thought you thought you were screaming at Tori Amos you were screaming at the lighting. At the lights. You were dancing <laughs> for the lights. Anytime I see something bright and shiny I just scream. I can't ah! stop screaming. <laughs> scream and dance. Prior to the club tour though um, let's talk a little bit about July 17th 1996 and the early show in Seattle where Tori performs just a little improv before Father Lucifer, which we jokingly refer to as the birth of Raspberry Swirl, and here that is. I don't think it's any laughing matter. You, then she would be a hot, hot hat. Yeah. <laughs> In total, Tori's played Raspberry Swirl 180 times, and we're about to break it down, but it all started in 1998 with the band. And here's a little something she said about the band on the Album Network Chicago Radio Special on April 30th, 1998. Have you gotten the feeling at all from the people that have seen this short tour that they are surprised? how hard this band rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, the percussion on a lot of the songs is, is really cool. And I know you've... People really didn't think, you know, when I said deep in my heart I'm a rock chick, you know, I know it's funny. But just because I do acoustic piano, you got to figure, I did three world tours with the Boozy, 600 shows, and um, that worked. So just the idea, I don't know if they thought I was going to add drums just for like a visual thing. I don't know what people were thinking, but you've got to know my roots are Zeppelin. That's where it goes back to. And even though these guys are jazz based also, you know, we can go there. It, it has to be about, for me, um, not being compartmentalized. It's, if it's time to go um, subwoofing, let's go. <laughs> and if it's time to just lay it back and people want to have a bit of a hallucinogenic vibe, just kind of trancing for a while, then you play different. I mean, you have to be versatile enough with your instrument. If it's all one, if it's all the same thing, it's like a relationship. It gets really boring. It's about having, a, a, being with interesting people so that tons of stuff comes up. And that's what should come up in the music. Ow, 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 ow. Ow. 
1998 Plug Tour, Tori played Raspberry Swirl 120 times, not counting storytellers. That's fine. I like a nice even a number for the concert tour proper. Yeah. The first time she ever did it was May 20th, 1998 in Liverpool, which we do not have a recording for. Can you believe that? Primitive, primitive times. The first recording we do have is May 25th, 1998 in Wolverhampton, but I'm going to skip that for May 28th, 1998 in Portsmouth because it's a much better recording and it's a much more interesting performance. And guess what, David? What? I've listened to every Raspberry Swirl ever bootlegged. I'm not surprised. And not even just for uh. this show. You probably hit that mark years ago. After having listened to every Raspberry Swirl, you know what I think? She deserved that Grammy. And here's why I think she should have won. You ready? I'm ready to hear this pitch. Do you think we can get them to award it to her retroactively? Yeah, I think we should. Does anybody know anybody at the Grammy Foundation? I think we know Jamie. Our friend Jamie used to work for the Grammys. She still might. (laughs) I bet she could give it to her. Let's start there. (laughs) Vocal acrobatics throughout this song. She is working that vocal from the beginning, from the moment it starts to the end. Everything. It is just nonstop vocal acrobatics. Uh-huh. That's why. I don't disagree. And it's good. And this is not the only performance of hers that would be deserving of such an award, but it's one of them for sure. I guess we shouldn't deign to acknowledge it, but I am curious to know what won instead. You will not believe this, David. Who? Alanis Morissette, Uninvited. Uninvited. You know what? That's pretty funny because I remember when Uninvited was getting serious, serious radio play. It was on the radio like every <laughs> hour on the hour. And there's... Mm-hmm. A lyric, I can't think off the top of my head of what she's actually saying. Oh, it's territory I must. But we swore she was saying Tori Amos. Tori Amos. <laughs> <laughs> So she invoked Tori Amos to win that Grammy. Yeah, so even Tori lost the Grammy. She still managed to slip herself in there somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so because I've listened to every Raspberry Swirl, this is going to be one of those live sections where we get really into the minutia. And here on June 10th, 1998 in Den Haag, Netherlands, she did it with a little piano at the beginning. It's so weird. Hmm. on June 18th in Munich the beat drops out for like a brief second she drops that beat yes it's weird is this a malfunction I guess so it might have been is technical malfunction or was she like ooh that shit's hot when we do it in cruel strobe light strobe light console console kids (laughs) dancing June 27th, 1998, Tori performed 
this song at the Glastonbury Festival in Glastonbury with a professional widow mashup, and it yeah. was living for it. Let's roll it, Ollie. again at the Werchter Festival on July 5th. I can't believe that that didn't become standard to add that bit yeah, from Professional Widow. Not only is it cool, but she loves a mashup. I can't believe that she dropped that so soon. Yes. I don't know why. It was like, it was perfect. She should have definitely kept that going a lot longer. If I could go back and change anything... <laughs> About the club tour. Yeah. About you, the 1998 tour, it would be that. I thought you were going to say of anything in history. If you had access yeah, to a flux well, yeah. capacitor and you could go back in time, that's the one thing you would change. <laughs> no, I think if I could go back and change any one thing, I would go to all the 92 and 94 shows and write down the set lists. What if you found out that for some reason that triggered something that wiped us out of existence in the future? Would you still do it? Would you just roll those dice? Like in the future, still our future or the future that's currently now? Like like. The, like this back to part the future, would be wiped out. Like Back to the Future, it would create a weird paradox where we weren't actually born. I don't, know, um, I don't know how that would happen since, well, you weren't, but I was born already in 1992. So, yeah. <laughs> I might not do it. Okay. But I might send someone else back in time to do it. Why risk it? <laughs> this is July 5th in Werchter, Belgium, her performing the Professional Widow moment again. performing Raspberry Swirl in Madison Square Garden. There's a delightful video on YouTube, July 28th, 1998. (laughs) 
As we well know, Tori has mentioned that performing at Madison Square Garden was a big moment for her in her career and that she and the band were like, let's really soak up this moment. Do you think that performance of Raspberry Swirl was a huge part of it? They're like, we're never going to have a dance party this big again. Maybe, yeah. Like, let's do it. She loved performing this song. She still I think does. that, um, yeah, she, I mean, it's a unique song in her catalog. There's no other song in her catalog like it. The closest being, like, what is the closest song in her catalog to this? Nothing. There's nothing. Mm-mm. It's an anomaly. So, yeah, it fulfills a very specific agenda or role in the set list. <laughs> Especially at that point. It was such a perfect encore song. And not that the energy of those sets ever really lagged, maybe a little at certain points, but that really brought everyone literally to their feet if they weren't already. So No, 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 no. no. It was the lighting. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. But I will say all of the songs on that tour had a distinct lighting personality, and that includes Swirl. I can picture the magenta and the green as described still to this day. Yeah, we kid, we josh, we play around with uh, Simon and Dan, but they are incredible lighting designers. Dan. Dan, you know, Dan has continued to work with her. He's great. Like the lighting is incredible. Always. Still. Always the lighting is on point. I agree. Yeah. I continue to be amazed by it. Last tour. I loved it. Same mm-hmm. thing. Every song had a distinct identity for sure. And it's really appreciated because she lives and breathes in every moment of every song. You know, she says it's not about going from one song to the other. It's about going from one line to the next, from one word to the next, you know, mm-hmm. and living in that line i feel like the lighting supports that it's not just like okay here we are red green and this is the song it's like every moment of the song is like designed agreed it's incredibly dynamic even when it's just her and the piano it would be so easy to just essentially flip a switch i guess if Mm -hmm, one wanted mm -hmm. to but the lights are always moving and shifting in time with her performance so it's something to see for sure here's a little bit from boston august 1st 1998 August 11th in Richmond, Virginia with a Love to Love You ending for the very first time. Next one is from September 18th, 1998, my birthday. And for my birthday this year, Tori gave me this strange gift, which is, I don't know why, but for some reason, something in the audio shifts and the guitar becomes suddenly very apparent. So it's never been as clear as we hear it in this bootleg. And so I thought I'd play this here. Happy birthday to me and you. 
This is October 10th, 1998 in New Orleans, Louisiana. She's got the Love to Love You ending, and she throws in a little bit of a DJ saved my life. Yes, it may be only one line, but that line saved my life. October 24th, 1998, Tori performed on VH1 Storytellers, and she told this story beforehand. In some of my relationships with a few of my women friends, I play a certain role. <laughs> this is really getting in, I don't know. I hope my father's not watching this. He just doesn't know what to do. The straitjacket's coming. But, you know, I always told my dad, you know, gays, lesbians, just has to get used to it. One of the nieces and nephews is going to be one. He's just got to get ready. So um, what I said was uh, to Beanie, who's the love of my life, my husband understands this, that, um, well, we're married. We're absolutely married. And I adore her with all my heart. And she's dated some idiots. And I hope you're watching. I want you to know what I think of you. And um, in another life, I'll absolutely kick your ass. And I'm going to kick it right now, actually, <laughs> because this is for her, and I'm in love with her. Hang on. Okay, so everybody, off your asses. There were so many good performances of Raspberry Swirl, and this is probably my favorite of the whole tour. This is November 12th, 1998 in Rochester, New York. Last time she ever performed it with Caton and in the original plugged incarnation, East Lansing, Michigan, the last night of tour 98. Were you there? I was lucky enough to be there. I sure was. What would you have done different had you known it was the last time she'd ever perform it with Caton? I think I would have appreciated it more for sure. That show, they were definitely playing the songs that they enjoyed playing the most together as a band, not necessarily audience favorites or deep cuts or anything like that. 
but if I would have known that this was the last performance of this very special version that we would have gotten, I'm sure I would have soaked it up even more. Would you have cried? I think I did cry. Not about Raspberry Swirl necessarily, but... Oh. <laughs> I've got those last show blues. <laughs> this is December 3rd, 1998. The last time she performed Raspberry Swirl with the full band. Listen closely because you just may hear a little Kate Bush running up the hill. Running up the hill. did not perform this song in 99, 2001, 2002, 2003, or 2005. It was the summer of sensuality, right? Why didn't she think like, oh, I feel sensual when I swirl? Like it should have come up in like an organ version. I'm surprised it didn't. (laughs) Can you imagine a 12 minute B3 Hammond organ version of Raspberry Swirl? (laughs) Yes, I can imagine it so much that in honor of that imaginary version, we're going to leave a 12 minute gap right here in the show where it would be. Everyone swirl amongst yourselves. <laughs> Mommy, kiss me goodbye. In 2007, she performed it nine times to shocked reactions from the crowd. I remember <laughs> Shaggy texting me. The very first time she played it was in Chicago, November 5th, as Santa. And I remember receiving a text message from Shaggy who's like, Oh my God! He loves the swirl. Let's play that. Roll it, Ollie. I 
can't believe this song took a, such a long break, especially considering how much she loves playing it. I certainly don't think it would have fit in on a lot of pianos or Summer of Sin, for example, but to Dallas and back, mm-hmm. for sure. Same band lineup. Some of the songs have the same arrangement, and I think that would have been a crowd pleaser considering she was mm-hmm, playing mm-hmm. to both her own audience and the Atlantis peeps, too. Why it went MIA, yeah. I don't know. This is November 24th in Dallas, Texas. Roll it, Ollie. Sinful Attraction Tour, Tori Amos performed this song 23 times. That makes sense to me. Again, she had the band back. It was sinful and attractive, none more so than Raspberry Swirl. So clearly by July 23rd, 2009 in Kansas City, this song had become a gay anthem to her because listen to this. Queens! hate crime and that doesn't and it doesn't stop there you want to know what she did to those kids in boston massachusetts on august 17th 2009 what did she do to them she brought out santa for an unexpected surprise visit Mm. during the encores her friend santa i love a surprise visit from santa always showering people with (laughs) gifts and in this case it was swirl i guess here it is august 17th 2009 as santa ho 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 October 10th, 2009 in Poland. Roll it, Oliver. So then it took a break again. She didn't perform it in 2010, 2011, 2012, 
2013. But here in 2014, she performed it nine times on the Unrepentant Geraldines tour. Nine times. Nine times. And this was very different, right? Tell the people why. Up until this point, she'd been performing it with the band, of course. And now we got those loops. She brought them loops. She was like, it's just me, but I'm still going to rock it. Just you wait. Dem loops. She got dem loops and dead ass. This is May 11th, 2014. The first time she ever performed it solo in Manchester, England. England. Sounding Raspberry Swirl emerged on November 20th, 2014 in Sydney, Australia at the All Request Show. And this was requested by Tom Christofferson, our guest from earlier. Here you go. On the Native Invader tour, Tori performed this song 19 times every single time in the encore section. Can we address that at the onset yeah, of the of the 17 tour? I've address said, it, redress it, undress it. I've said it before, but I have to bring it again since we're on, you know, Raspberry Swirl's own episode. I got a bone to pick with you, lady. I just find that this was a questionable choice to end these shows, totally out of sync with the tone of the rest of those performances. And I was always kind of like, what? Especially as a final, final song, it did not make any sense to me. Much uh, the same way as ending the Night of Hunters shows with Big Wheel. It just didn't land right for me. Nothing against the song itself, but it was just such a strange tonal shift that left me staggering out of the venue like, huh? After everything else huh? that had come before it. And I know you've said, what? which I think is, what? Como? What? I know you've said... Huh? I know you've said before, which I think is absolutely true, that she wants to send the audience out on a high note at this point, which it makes sense to me in theory, but I don't necessarily think of Tori Amos as an artist that sends out her audience all smiles. <laughs> so, yeah, she always has. Okay. She always has. Oh, remember she would hey, send them Jupiter out with, like, on Drop In, how we laughed. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, she would send out people after Horses 98, like mouths agape, jaws on the ground. Okay, but that's different than a rave or a hoedown hootenanny. So, Raspberry Swirl was 100% of the time on Native Invader Tour in the very last slot and never made an appearance anywhere else on the set list. It was always in the very last slot. And 
I, just being in the audience, loved that. It was always paired with another big number. The encores were always big and powerful. Precious Things, A Sort of Fairy Tale, Bang, Cloud Riders, Cornflake Girl always, they would appear there. And then Raspberry Swirl, which it left you feeling good. It's like she took you on this dark emotional ride throughout the whole show. Dark loops and beats and like just the lighting and everything was really, really dark and moody. And then at the end, it's like, okay, the veil has lifted and we can just have fun. I appreciated it. I understand what you're saying, but I definitely looked forward to it. I'm glad. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it, but again, aside from the tone of it, at this point, I find it odd to end a show with something that's so reliant on loops where she's barely playing. It shifts the energy for sure. You know, I want to go out with Tori playing the piano the way that I always think of her. So I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. Wasn't she playing the piano, though, during yeah, Raspberry but Swirl? It's, but it's different when the loops kick in. I don't know. I get it. You want you want a honey. You want a toast. I do. Give me that toast. Spread that honey on my toast. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Here is the last time Tori Amos has performed Raspberry Swirl to date. This is Los Angeles, California, December 3rd, 2017. Not only is it the last time she's performed this song to date, this is the last song she's performed to date live. That is shocking to me. It may be a shocking end to the tour, but it was the perfect beginning to our dance party at the precinct. Well, that's for sure. Yeah, it was a perfect pre-show. And I will say it probably makes the transition off tour easier. At least you go out and like, you know, high energy smiling. If she just wrecked you, if you're already depressed about the end of tour and then she wrecks you with an emotional ballad, you might not make it. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) yeah, I love Raspberry Swirl. My favorite is 2007 when she would, as Santa, she would jump off the keys at the very end because it was usually the last song she'd play before she'd change into Tori. And then she'd just go like off the keys, like her hands like flew off and then she'd like jump off the little stage and then like start spinning around and twirling. Like a party girl. Did you see those videos? Of course. And she would like twirl and twirl, twirl that little Santa, twirl her again. And then she would just like twirl out. Uh, I wish Santa had crowd surfed to Raspberry Swirl to end her set. If at the end of every show, she had just leapt into the pit. I was just terrified that she was going to fall and break her ankle in those heels. No kidding. But she seemed to be in total control, so I wasn't too worried. I can't believe she made it through all that, yet apparently she like broke her ankle walking to Tesco. Dancing with our leprechauns in the moonlight. Good one. You're listening to a cover of Raspberry Swirl by Simple from the Songs of a Goddess tribute album. We'll, of course, link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com. Well, we 
we've made it. We We're done. swirled. We swirled ourselves silly. We, we swirled, we little girls. Do you feel like you know more about cunnilingus? Uh, no. <laughs> Me either. I feel like we could have done better to do like a cunnilingus segment, like a tutorial. The only thing that I'm more assured of now is that a true friend will do it to you. <laughs> great. And if that's not happening, you're well within your rights to start asking questions. Let's play a voicemail we received about Raspberry Swirl. Okay. Hi, it's Cecily Link. This week you guys are going to be talking about Raspberry Swirl, which was the second touring of the song I ever heard. I heard it because a friend of mine in college, when I was a DJ at my local uh, college radio station, told me that, oh my gosh, you've got from the Choir Girl Hotel in the bin, you need to play Raspberry Swirl. And until then, I had only ever heard it sound all these years. So I played Raspberry Swirl on my show without ever having heard it first. And I remember telling my friend that I thought it was a weird song. I didn't understand what it was about and all this other blah, 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 blah. But eventually the song really grew on me. And now I love it. I think it's a really fun song. And to me, it is about friendship between women and that women are able to understand each other in a way that men can't understand women because we have the same friends. It's dancey, it gets you on your feet. It's catchy. I love this song. I love pretty much everything from the, from the choir of your hotel. Thanks so much for doing the podcast and can't wait to hear this episode. Bye. If you like what we do, please head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos to become a supporter today. We have many different perks at many different levels. We have many other podcasts, tour all year, never shut up, drive all night plus, drive all night, drive all year, drive while shutting up. We have so many things out we need, there. Dr- we need drive all quarter. We need night all year. That's what we need. Ooh, I like That's it. That's what our after dark should be called, night all year. Ah, eternal darkness. You're speaking my language. If you really like us enough to want to hear more from us, head over to any of our social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. No, not Snapchat. That's it. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> at Songs of Tori Amos. Match.com. Um, and you can... Zoosk. Did you say Snatch.com? No, I said Match.com. Oh. <laughs> Tinder, Grinder, Scruff, at Songs of Tori Amos. Hairpie.org. <laughs> If you want to reach out to us and give us uh, one of your thoughts to read on our wrap-up episode, you can email us at songsoftoryamus at gmail.com. And you can call our hotline, 323-296-9955. And leave us a message about a song that you love, and likely we'll play it on the air like we just did right there with Cecily Link. So, yes. Hello. Goodbye. (laughs) It was fun. Hi. We're still in quarantine, so I don't know what's going to happen. I guess we'll move forward to Jackie's strength. We've got to have Jackie's strength to get through uh, this. On the fly, we're going to have to make some changes to our wedding plans. But this ceremony is going forward, rain or shine. <laughs> online. Online only. Yeah, I'll meet you at the online altar. Everybody out there, we love you. Stay safe. David, stay safe. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com. Yeah.